You know what's happened, don't you? Hi guys, Steve here. You're listening to my podcast, 50 Uses for the Word Love, where every week we examine the cornucopia of feeling and emotion that constitutes the human condition, and how strange it is that in the English language we have this one limiting umbrella term, love, that can be applied or misapplied to all of them. This is a big one, this is a big episode. Uh, I've been really excited about this uh, because this subject has been very close to my heart for pretty much my entire life. It also made me quite nervous because there's a lot of podcasts out there, almost the majority of podcasts out there it seems, are about this subject. A personal favourite is Sudden Double Deep, hi guys, which I will also be guesting on later in the year. And they've been very instrumental recently in reigniting my love for this particular subject. So yeah, I've been anticipating this episode for a while, but also quite wary of it. I needn't have worried though, for my guest this week was... Nathan Darcy Roberts! Nathan's a fantastic comedian, he's the type of guy who, if I see his name on a a running order at a comedy night, I immediately just relax, because I know that the quality is there. Even his jokes that he abandons because they don't quite work, I think are fucking brilliant. And he also shares my beleaguered obsession with this week's topic. Nathan's been nominated for the BBC New Comedy Award and was a semi-finalist in So You Think You're Funny. In 2018, he received the BBC's prestigious Felix Dexter Bursary, so he can channel both his writing and his comedy into pilot screenplays with the BBC Writers' Room and Comedy Commissioning Department. Very, very exciting. He's also doing his first Edinburgh debut hour this year. It's called Glowed Up. It's on at 12.40pm at Out of the Box at Just the Tonic at the Caves from the 1st to the 11th and the 13th to the 25th of August. He's got previews coming up at the Cavendish Arms at 3pm on the 23rd of June, at the Old Nun's Head in Peckham at 8pm on the 26th of June, and at the Hoxton Cabin 8pm on the 29th of June. I had a great time chatting with Nathan. It was pretty much what I expected. I I pretty much forgot to host this one, and uh, sure enough, it is both dense and unfocused. But a lot of fun. See ya! You're listening to 50 Uses for the Word Love. Today's form of love is cinephilia. By the same, like, I consider myself like a smart person, but like, I'm well read. I watch like foreign films, but I can't properly tie my shoelaces. <laughs> it's like a real, real conundrum. What's your current method? Is there like a. Uh, is. <laughs> That's the only way I can do it. You don't like, put the finger? No. You don't place the finger on the spot? Out. No, I don't do that. Like, I read Infinite Jest, but I cannot <laughs> tie my shoes. I've got that! That's like the book. That's, I've read the first two pages of that three months ago. It sat on my, my book. Boring, shelf. huh? <laughs> <laughs> I remember talking to somebody about it, and they were like, why did you, like, start on that? Like, why is that you're <laughs> trying to read more? <laughs> <laughs> because you, th- you, you want to be that guy. I think that you yeah. want to be the kind of guy that has it in your bookshelf. Like, I felt like such a cunt every time I bring it out on a train. Yeah. I'd be like, yeah, two bookmarks. <laughs> one for the main text and one for the footnotes. And I was like, oh, you scumbag. You just drop it like a brick yeah. on your knee. Feel feel your, your shin, like, buckle. <laughs> I was like, heft my book up, put my bag onto the table. To see someone. I was like, oh, Dan Brown's Inferno. <laughs> Cute. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> the worst for me I think it's just like oh somebody accidentally watched two David Foster Wallace YouTube interviews <laughs> yesterday night at 3 o'clock in the morning now thinks he's a, a reader <laughs> yeah, you're going to find it the hard way it's a lot harder to read it than listen yes but, like, but it is good I don't understand That's, but what I like about that is people don't know that you don't get it 
Yeah. So as long as they see you're halfway through it, they don't know that you're not understanding it. Ooh, sub-question, do they get it? Because how would we know? Right? No, no one gets it. Someone... I mean, that's the point of the book. <laughs> oh, right, right, well, right. well, then... That you'll never actually finish it. Right, top marks. <laughs> <laughs> have you finished it? Mm. And what And what, what happened? It's... You want me to summarise it? No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do, do you get it? Uh, in the very... Base level. If I had to take okay. a test in it, I'd pass, but I'd just scrape by. Right. I'd get a third. Okay. So well, see, I'm the king of essay questions. Oh, really? I can make it sound like I know what I'm talking about. So me and my brother would just use these flowery language mm. and get a fucking, like, English Lang and Lit, a, a fucking star every oh, time. Really? Yeah. But dumb as shit. Just, <laughs> just, we use words like portentous and ethereal. But I think that's a certain type of person. I think there's a certain type of person who, you know, up until 18 aces exams and you're like fuck I've got this down mm. then the exams stop and life starts setting you tests that you are not equipped for well exactly yeah it's that common sense thing, yeah, isn't like it? council tax and yes. just regular tax you're like fuck I'm lost I sometimes get a letter and, and I don't read it just because it's a letter I'm afraid of it oh dude have you ever just had like 100%. a letter and you just I'm not I don't want to it's only two up. paragraphs no I let them build up and um then I'll do like an afternoon mm. of like going through the news and like the tension, like, oh, it's fine, it's not bad news. <gasps> yeah, yeah, exactly. it's not bad news. I scan <gasps> this is book. very bad news. I should have opened this weeks ago. <laughs> I just scan the first sentence to, to, to monitor the tone. Oh, I look for red. Oh my god, if there's no red, there's not a red stamp, I'm like, yes. I, can, I can relax. Or like a really fancy border. Yeah. Well, if there's a uh, jagged, serrated line border mm. of color, <laughs> that usually means it must be red. <sighs> It's, this letter will not be unread. I fucking hate it. Also, I um, it'll be fine. That's my theory of everything. Like everything will like work itself out. It always does. Like I, yeah. years ago, I got like a uh, huge tax bill for like two. They said like you owe us two grand because you've been sending letters to uh, this address, which I didn't live in for like four years. Okay, and I was like, I had like a month of, like freaking out. I was like, right, I'm just gonna live with a month of anxiety. Yeah, and then I'll deal with it. And it was just mm. they were like, oh no, it was our mistake. But it's fine. I think you you and I are the same guy. Yeah. Like, like that's exactly like I was talking to my friend Callum and he was talking to me about how about being freelance. And he was like, how can you not know when your next, where, where or when your next paycheck is coming to you? And I was like, no, that's fine. If you told me that I had to go into an office at the same time every day, mm. I would have so much anxiety yeah. and be around people every day and do my work in the time it's meant to be done. Yeah. It's good. Things do work. <laughs> you get to get up uh, later in the day. Yes. The sad thing is those hours are punctuated with raw fear. Yes. But I, I, I'm willing to take that exchange. I like it. I bet you thrive under it though. I bet it produces the best of your work. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, totally. What's well, like anything? Like, you know, you get a deadline and you've got like four months to write a script. Hmm. I'm going to spend all the time writing, mm. but it will be shit. Yeah. And then the last three weeks, I'll actually write stuff that I like. I don't understand why people like book out like three hours in their room with a, and type. I mm. don't get, like, you know, it's the type of people who show up to gigs with like a piece of paper yeah. that's been printed out with full text. Like, who, who are these people? Yeah, I can never do I I will do that. Right. Then I never read from the text. I oh, can't, okay. I can't cold read, so I can't yeah. sell that. It's like Commander Data trying to do stand-up comedy, <laughs> so it's like, it's too perfect. Yeah, no, I just throw up with, like, horrible, like, uh, ratty, folded-up pieces of paper with bullet points in them and stuff. I have, like, feed words. Yeah. So feed words. Like, no sense. It's like, I know where I need to go. That's the monkey bar I need to reach for. Yeah. I mean, you've been doing a lot of writing recently, though, haven't you? Because you, you just had the, the bursary. 
Yeah. Have you just finished that? Yes, I just finished that. So I finished the scripts. I finished... Uh, Amazing. Well, one of them I'm writing two. Yeah. So one is done. I'm still waiting on some notes. So we're going to continue developing that. The other one, I just can't look down the final act. Like, I, I know oh. what it's meant to be. Yeah. But it's just... Is it a feature? No, no. It's uh, They're Both Pilots. Oh, great, great. So, um, so this could be a film as well. It's kind of like a broad nice. idea that could be either. Cool. But I kind of want it to be a show. But this, I just... It's just finding the intricacy of that final act and mm. making it not too conclusive. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. You, know, you want to set up the world. But not be sequel baity. Yeah. Okay. But also, like, introduce the most interesting characters, but mm. also, like, just tease them a Save little bit. It. Yeah. So, I mean, has it actually changed your, like, writing style? Have they, like, read, have they, cut, have they, like, broken you down and built you back up? Do they, is it like that? Or is it just letting you find your own rhythm? Kind of yes and no. It's changed my like approach to writing for TV mm. because I was writing it from a like film background, right? Where you, like you focus on like structure and I like, just make it. Obviously, structure is a big part of it, yeah. but like making it like really locked down mm. and like the story was my biggest concern. Yeah. Before character and they're like no character, character is the kind of the biggest thing that matters really with a sitcom. Yeah. We need to be introduced to someone compelling mm. that could do anything. You could spend half an hour just hanging out with them. And yeah. it's a great, like the episode of Red Dwarf, uh, Marooned, where it's just uh, Lister and Rimmer trapped on a on a. It's like a pinter play, like they're just trapped together in a, in Starburg on a planet, and it's like the best episode. It's like a little play. Yeah, that's that's what people want. So you have to have a competitive character. Whereas like film, I think character is less significant. Mm. I think that's why people are so excited about TV at the moment because we've got yeah you know, over the past few years because there's so many compelling characters. Where yeah. if you think about film outside of like superhero movies. Mm. There aren't many standout characters. No. I, I think, I guess, like, Paul Thomas Anderson is giving us... Like, Paul Thomas Anderson and Daniel Day-Lewis are giving us, like, the most indelible characters... Yeah, 100%. ...in recent times. And you're absolutely right, because if you actually asked me to synopsize... Forget David Foster Wallace. If you asked me to synopsize what actually happened in Stranger Things, season one and two, mm. I couldn't tell you what happened. Yeah. Not because it didn't make sense, but I just don't remember what actual, what the actual plot was. I yeah. just remember I loved every single character. Yeah, you hang out with the kids. Yeah. That's what it's about. But like, that's the thing, like with film, there's, who are the standout characters? Like there's, you know, Reynolds Woodcock, uh, Daniel Plainview, and PTA mm. characters. Mm. There's Anton Sugar. Mm. Yes. It's like Cohen's are good for like introducing companion characters, yeah, like, like iconic characters. But mm. outside of that... Any character from Magnolia? All of them. Yeah. Like, all, basically all, all 100. Magnolia. Fuck, yeah, I fucking love Magnolia so much. Anyone that Philip Seymour Hoffman's ever played... 100%. From sad masturbator to... Uh, <laughs> to other sad <laughs> arms, masturbator. Arms dealer, terrorist guy. <laughs> okay, well, let's let's uh, let's just start the show. Sweet. Hi, guys. <laughs> You're listening to 50 Uses for the Word Love. Uh, I'm Stephen Trumbull, and I love the moment when you sat in a cinema and the lights have just gone down, and it's this little moment just after the the opening logos and just before the opening titles. It's a little bit of black screen just a little bit of black maybe two seconds and for that those two seconds even if it's the worst film ever made it's a good film for those two seconds that's interesting yeah i have a very different response okay those a few seconds okay like i i love that moment i in that moment i'm always thinking i love the cinema i love this environment Mm -hmm. i'm so glad i'm here Mm. this is like a real safe space but i'm also thinking i hope everyone here shuts the fuck up (laughs) 
I am judging everyone. I'm like, is the murmur of conversation that's been going over the trailers going to yeah. die down? Yeah. Because I'm going to have to tell someone to shut the fuck up if they are talking. Are you? Do so, are you that guy? One hundred percent. Every time. You've never. You've it never, depends yeah. how close we are. Okay. That's the thing. If they're far in the distance, there's nothing you can do. Fuck. But if you're proximate, mm. you get in the glance, mm. or at one point I had to click my fingers at someone. <laughs> Like you were like you were at a slam poetry session. Oh, I was like liking what he's doing. Like yes, that's more, more, please. For twenty minutes, he was on his phone, full light. Oh so Christ! Got to a point, I had to click my fingers at him, time to put guy. it away. Oh my god! So I'm imagining you with your arms crossed for those first two seconds. Then, so okay, but it, right, but if if it was completely silent, you're not sat there going right, impress me, movie. You're you're, you're actually like enjoying the for that for those first couple of seconds. The mm. film isn't shit. My thesis is that it's like it's an inherited dignity. From all of cinema. Oh no, I I'm still I'm on the fence. <laughs> like you need to impress me. I tell you one thing I do do. Uh, if it's a bit soft, I go and tell someone. Yes. Yeah. But that's a big problem because are you going to miss some of the film? See, there you go. But then they've made you miss the film yeah. because it's either miss the first couple. See, that that's another thing. I fucking can't. No, I can't miss the opening seconds of a film. I've done it a few times, and that's why I'm like super like, annoying to go to the cinema with. Yeah. I'm really good at going by myself, but if I'm with someone, I just, like... I, I Kind of like going on stage, I get taken short. I have to pee, like, two, maybe three times Yeah, to make sure that I don't have to pee halfway through. And it's getting increasingly problematic in my <laughs> 30s. Do you know what I mean? But I'm quite lucky, because one of my favourite things to do is I like to get stoned to go to the cinema. Really? It's my favourite thing to do. And okay. if you smoke a joint, you kind of tend to need the bathroom less. Interesting. You focus and your body just absorbs everything. So I'm just there, I'm focused, it's me that and the film. You don't feel like that's diluting the, 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 the artistry? or is it? Is Not it, at all, it, it intensifies everything. Really? Because my brain is still focused on everything that's happening. Right. And I'm just engaged, completely just one-on-one. So, so you're, a hyper, you're hyper-aware? Yeah. Right, I'd be sat there going, I wonder if Tom Cruise would like me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I assume he would Like, No, I, I love it. It's just pure intensity. Especially like if you see something like uh, like so like I saw Hereditary Stone and that was right. such a intense experience. I need to it was see the that. Best, I was highly recommended. I saw that you. I saw that it was on your top five, ten of the year. I, yeah, I, I checked that out. That's Flawed, amazing. but like so full of imagination. Yeah, so full of ideas. Yeah, a little bit derivative. Okay, but I respected what Ari Aster did. Okay, the, I just see like memes and gifs from it. Mm. And it just makes me feel like, oh god, that film looks fucking intense. Like just like expre- facial expressions of performance that just like make me feel like this is a film that's going somewhere that other films don't go. A hundred percent. And also, it's it was an amazing thing to experience with an audience. Okay. There are a few films where you want to be in a packed out cinema and mm. have the room respond to bold creative decisions. Yeah. In recent years, it's been Hereditary and Widows. Watching that part of an audience was amazing. We we may have to clarify something very early on. Uh, I'm currently in the middle of a kind of a cinematic dip of like, it's actually been a few years now and I've kind of lost. I don't know if it was because of the depressive period that I had Mm. or the beginning comedy, but I used to be addicted to watching films and I've actually lost that. So most of the things that you're talking about, I won't have gone and seen. And stuff, whereas I would have, I would have back in the day. So it's like, it's an interesting, you're, I'm, I'm very interested to talk to you about this because I, I, I kind of want you to restart my pilot light a bit. You know, yeah, I love, I love hearing you talk about movies. You know. But then why do you think that you've seen fewer films? Do you think because it takes you to a 
too much of an emotional place? Is it a time thing or is it mm. just like there's nothing that's like sparked your interest? Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Like you, I went to film, film school and um, I actually dug out a bunch of my old films and stuff in preparation for this. And I might, Amazing. I, I might, I, I, I might, I, I, if you would like to see them, I will show them to you. I'll watch them. And I might post some for the listeners as well because uh, I had a ball watching these again. <laughs> some of them are crazy. Some of them are like really like before university crazy and starring my brother who... He was like going to university with a feral dog. He had a kind of Toshiro Mifune, Bruce Campbell craziness. Amazing. And he's like, um, he's like unbelievable. Like, so um, I was the type of kid who I would watch just about any type of film. Like, I think if you were to say you and me in terms of style of movies, I'm probably more Kurosawa and you're more Ozu. But I feel like you... If you no, but, Kurosawa. You're a Kurosawa guy? Yeah, Kurosawa okay. boy. See, there you go. I'm, misdiagn- I'm misdiagnosing you as a film yeah. star. See, because he's harsher. I prefer like harsher, more aggressive is probably the wrong word, but you know, like more audacious, right. big filmmaking. Direct. Yeah. Ozzy was like very soft, which mm. I love, mm. but I'm going to lean more, to, more towards like Ran and Rashomon. Same yeah, like. I love Rashomon. Rashomon. It's fucking masterpiece. I fucking love Rashomon. But like, same with like uh, French New Wave, you know, they're, you're either a god eye person, yeah. hard, like yeah. audacious, in your face, yeah. or cool hair, soft. <laughs> Mean, like mean, that's what mean. I want. I want mean Goddard. Okay, mean Goddard. Oh, mean Goddard. He's a mean old man. That now. sounds like a, a a type of marijuana. Now like we should, we should <laughs> you should try that next time. <laughs> Have you tried the mean Goddard? It's it's really brilliant. It's the last time you sold me Truefoil, it bombed me out. <laughs> it gave you paranoia. <laughs> Never watch Unshen Andalou with, uh, when in a really bad high. Um, when Kurosawa is very much a brand of cocaine, mm. you just fight your mates. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone remembers it differently. <laughs> I fucking love that. <laughs> and then you don't realise that like half of it's Shakespeare. And you're like, oh my god, like, we're, so, we're so learned. Um, that's fucking awesome. Yeah, no, so what I was going to say was that, I, I mean, like, when I was a kid, I was more of the kind of Amblin entertainment of Spielberg Zemeckis kid. Mm. And so, but I would also, we'd watch Lost Highway or yeah. um, Audition. You know, like me and my brother, we would we would just watch anything that kind of sparked our interest. So we had no kind of like style, uh, but we'd also be excited to go see The Mummy Returns in the cinema and stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, that's my first big cinematic disappointment. Really? Yeah. That's okay. Describe that because I have my own. Because I think there's a point in your life where you go to the cinema every weekend. Like all your mates just go to the cinema, and you have that thing of like, Mm. I don't care what I'm seeing. I'm just in the cinema. This is fun. I'm independent. I'm out of the house, away from my mum. And then (laughs) more on that later. (laughs) I I love my mother. (laughs) I will be punctuating all (laughs) throughout. Um, No, but like you know, you're you're free. Like you're you're independent and. I loved The Mummy. The Mummy's a really fun film. It's a great film. And I was like, oh, The Rock's going to be The Mummy Returns. Mm-hmm. And then when he mm-hmm. came in and he was but wasn't. Yeah. I was like, oh, some movies are bad. Yes. For me, it was The Mummy Returns, The Hunted, starring Benicio Del Toro Ooh. and Tommy Lee Jones. Okay. Really directed by William Friedkin. Wow. And The Sin Eater, starring... Um, Heath Ledger. Heath Ledger. Who directed the Sin Eater. There's like, it's just like, during the kind of that... Hollywood like de- demonic phase of yeah. like the devil's advocate and all that kind of junk yeah. and yeah the, the ninth the gate, ninth gate. Yeah, yeah that kind of thing That's, okay for me it was a little bit earlier it was Ace Ventura When Nature Calls really yeah I hated that film up until about a few years ago I loved that I film I know 
And I watched it since, and I was like, it's hilarious. Like, if I should be watching it as an adult. I think it's because I saw Ace Ventura 1 when I was a kid, and it's obviously not meant for kids. Mm. It's very grown up. See, I don't like Ace Ventura 1. That's the thing. What my thing was, I liked Ace Ventura 1, and then when I saw Ace Ventura 2, it wasn't that it was a bad film. It was that that my brain was cinematically intelligent enough to realise that it was a departure in tone. So I felt, oh, whoever made this film has dumbed it down and changed what it was. Like, it's like... Yeah, so it's it's about the subtlety of Ace Ventura yes, 1. Yes, well, no, because the whole point of Ace Ventura 1 is that he's the only cartoon character in a realistic film. Yeah. And then in Ace Ventura 2, the whole world is cartoony and he's, there's like weird monks and British villains and... Do yeah. you know what I mean? And so I was... It's like, it's like that was the first time in the cinema I left going, oh, they... They didn't do what they were supposed to do. I, they did something wrong and I noticed it. Yeah. But I think then the biggest one was probably... Yeah, and, and this I should have known was Van Helsing. Oh, that I caught that on mm. TV quite recently. Yeah. Like I watched the last half an hour. Yeah, yeah, that was a fuck up. Yeah, man. But the first five minutes are great. It's like the anti Wizard of Oz. The yes. it goes to color, it goes to shit. <laughs> yes, and I go back, go back to Kansas. Uh, so I consider that a massive Empire film because that's mm. like when I was a teenager, I'd buy Empire. Me too. And read it cover to cover. Mm. everything even like the opinion pages because I just wanted yeah. every little Me too. nugget of film I could mm. get my hands on because mm. it was all just 100% porn. and you couldn't get it because like we don't have Netflix you couldn't download illegally so you could only yeah. get what you could afford to see at cinema yeah. or convince your mum to rent for you and they would stop us going to see something if it was, wasn't good or if, like, if it was five stars we'd go see it if it was two stars we wouldn't go see it and it's like they had power over us yeah but that maintains to this day like it forged me into a snob so, yeah. like if something gets like Mainly three stars. Yeah. I'm not going to see it. Yeah. Unless I, it's yeah. like... Did you transition to sight and sound? <laughs> no. I just abandoned... <laughs> abandoned magazines. It's a dead media. So like, you were, we weren't quite Total Film. Yeah, and never we weren't quite film. sight and sound. We were cool. We were, the, we were the cool guys. That's the perfect middle ground. Yeah. And then I just went to... Just IndieWire. IndieWire and Vulture. That's nice. where I go now. Um, okay. But yeah, that, I would only watch like a... It's so pretentious, but like a three-star film if it's... A franchise I'm interested in. Yeah. Like I recently saw Glass. Oh, I haven't seen that yet. Is it good? Oh, it's... Is it good? So bad. Oh, fuck, no! So bad. <laughs> M. Night Shyamalan should find out everyone who's seen it and write them a personalised apology. Wow! It's no! garbage. No! It's, okay. And I love Unbreakable. Me I too. Split was very dumb, but very fun. Yeah. This is such a swing and a miss. And it could have been amazing. It could have been, been amazing. amazing. It's such a... Great idea. Yeah. A great dumb idea. Yeah. Uh, Fuck. It's... All right. See, now I'm not going to watch it. Have, have, can you, have you ever been able to bring yourself to watch something that you know is going to be bad? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's really fun to do a hate watch. Okay. I love a hate watch okay. right, for a very particular kind of film. So mm-hmm. we hate watched Gotti recently, the John Travolta Oh, film. really? <laughs> oh, my God. It's insanely bad. Wow. It's yeah. like... An alien came down, you showed them 20 minutes of what a movie should be, and they're like, right. I get it. <laughs> and then you give them the equipment, it sucks. It's made by Kevin Connolly, I think, who is right. E from Entourage. <laughs> and he really brings that macho energy, like that macho bro. So it's almost like one of the films within the show of Entourage. 100%, right. yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so, awesome. it's so funny. And St. Elmo's Fire, I mean, my husband's hate watched that recently. Right. Which is from that. Is that also a Travolta? No, that's a like original Rat Pack. Oh, film. wow! So it's from the eighties. It's got oh, I actually can't remember anyone who's in it. It's just it's like a coming of age film. Oh, okay. Oh no, Saint Elmo's Fire is like a green flame that happens if you're climbing a mountain or something. I saw it in a Tintin book once. <laughs> 
I think so did the writer. This is where is. <laughs> this uh, is where I get all my knowledge from. I re- read it down because I, I keep a list of all the films I see. So it's made by someone like quite. Uh, he made Falling Down. Oh, fucking Joel Schumacher. It's Joel Schumacher. I film. love Falling Down. Falling Down is like, great. He, he did Batman and Robin, so everyone thinks he's a joke, but it's like, no, he directed fucking Falling Down, Lost Boys, uh, Phone Booth. Phone Booth's fucking phone great. Phone Booth is great. Love yeah. Phone Booth. But I don't I, know, I think he fell onto a couple of great films. Yeah. I think he doesn't have any talent, but everyone's got one in them. Interesting. He's like the reverse Danny Boyle. Ooh, I like that. He's got like, you know, masterpieces in him. But as now... Do you think? Oh, I, you I think, think you've lost, lost it? I think it's complete. He is... You know that scene in Trainspotting yeah. where Sick Boy is like, you get old, you can't hack it anymore. And they talk about, yeah, about Sean yeah, Connery. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That's a self-fulfilling prophecy. That is Danny wow. Boyle. Wow, holy fuck. No, I, I, I mean, I don't think I could ever not enjoy one of his films just because it's unbelievable to me how much he directs like a young man. I don't see that much filmmaking brio, you know, joie de vivre. yeah in any director even even at the age he was when he made Trainspotting like it's that's like, true so in a way I kind of go just for the vitality of it you know? I just wish he'd work with better writers mm. I think like also I think there's certain type of filmmakers who only work well with constraints yeah like if you take away Danny Boyle's money he will work out how to bring that to the screen yeah. Trainspotting Shadow, Shadow Grave, Grave 28 Days Later yeah uh, Slumdog Millionaire yeah. like they, those are challenging productions what and do you think he, about 127? I thought it was it's entertaining yeah. but who's going to watch that again? it yeah. was fine it was a fine <laughs> experience and also I think he cheated by having us leave the cave oh interesting I think that was a real oh yeah lazy... just been the cave yeah just stay, stay in the cave just what a nightmare in stay yeah. in the cave that would have been amazing actually yeah you're right my biggest disappointment this year was Godzilla King of the Monsters because I was so ready for it to be my film of the year. Really? I love Godzilla. I did not hate Gareth Edwards's. I thought it was very good. I mm. thought it was like a four-star film. Um, I thought it needed better writing. I saw the trailer for King of the Monsters and it just looked beautiful and obviously made by a fan. I thought it was going to be the perfect mix of of silly, but knowing it's silly, but also doing the monsters religiously well. And... About a week before I saw it, a really good friend of mine that I really respect their opinion of just tweeted that they hated it and thought it was the worst the, the worst thing they'd ever seen. And so I was just like heartbroken for a whole week. And I just went, I did the, the not hate watch, but the compassionate, I know it's going to be bad watch. Yeah. But there's also the, when someone, people hate a thing, there's also mm. the watch where you're like, I think I'm going to see something yeah. that other people don't see. I think this is the hill I'm going to die. And everyone's like, it's a two star yeah. film, one star film. You're like... <laughs> cute no it's actually a <laughs> masterpiece you just don't get it examples uh, I had that with the house that Jack built okay uh, oh god is that the last one trailer one yeah because that got a couple of really good reviews mm. and mostly two and one and I read the script a couple of years ago and I thought you that's quite script? Inter- that's like an interesting uh, idea because I, I hit and miss with last one trailer I, I, yeah. he can be a genius he can be garbage yeah. and this is garbage <laughs> it's not so much that it's a bad film it's that it doesn't need to exist mm. it's like he's made a film that oh, is functionally very good yeah. and with some really fascinating imagery mm. but it doesn't need to exist you have made mm. pointless art that's worse than bad art see that that's really interesting saying that right there because obviously we're talking about cinephilia we didn't even say the word today the word today <laughs> in, in case you've all been wondering the word today is cinephilia uh, which is love of cinema it's so interesting cinema because it is an art form and an industry. 
You know mm. what I mean? So it's like there is eighty percent of everything is shit. So there's so many bad films out there, but it is when it's done right, it is truly. Art. I remember in film school, one of the lecturers saying that it's the only art form that utilizes all the other art forms. Yeah, hundred percent. Like it's like writing, it's acting, it's cinematography, it's photography, photography, it's design. There's no type of art you could do that couldn't be folded into a film. Yeah. So in that way, it's kind of art plus. It's 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 pure art. Well, not pure art, but it's like, if anything, it's kind of quite diluted art. But it's like or compounded art, let's say. But there, you know, there's yeah. certain films which you know will pick certain like three of those things and focus on them. And so, example, um, I saw Barry Lyndon recently at the BFI, mm. and that is such an interesting example because it's the perfect consummation of great literature, mm. great photography, mm. uh, great music, candlelight, just candlelit cinematography, yeah. it's, and just pure uh, puts those all through a prism and turns it into perfect cinema. Yeah, at its essence, it's pure cinema, but it takes the best of all those three facets. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's but but it means that we, if you love it, it could be quite a soul destroying life. If you you love films for the way they can be, and then eighty percent of them are bad. Do you know what I mean? Or you have to sit through them, and it's like you never quite know if it's going to be. But then you cherry pick. Yeah. Like I only see things that I think will be good because life's too short. So mm. if someone says, uh, "Have you seen you know Godzilla King of Monsters?" Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. No, because we're going to die one day. So I'm not going to dedicate like two and a half hours to something which I yeah. don't think is going also, to be very good. Also, as a child, you didn't love the film Son of Godzilla or Godzilla versus the Astro Monsters. So you have no, there's no, you have no dog in this fight. Yeah, there's a hundred percent. I mean, it makes it yeah. very difficult to date or go to the cinema with because someone's like, let's go and see The Hustle. <laughs> no, there's not even a debate. It's not going to happen. Yeah, we'll go and see a retrospective of the White Ribbon. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're going to go Get see. on board, darling! <laughs> I remember saying that I was going to take... Um, I've been seeing this lady and we were going to go... I was I was threatening to take her to go see Godzilla because I was like, because you have to know eventually. <laughs> um, but luckily, luckily she, she managed to escape that because I heard it was going to be shit. So I just said to her, take going, apparently it's shit. I think I'm just going to go see it by myself and I need to be alone, okay? Um, and and uh, I will say this, just if anyone's interested, it is a bad film, but it had to do three things right it did those three things right and then tried to do 20 other things as if it didn't realise that it, all it had to do was the three things. So in that way, it's, it's ambition and it's love of what it was trying to do was its own downfall. I'm, 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 I'm okay to deal. I, can, I, I was like, no, it's okay. I'm, I'm seeing a human woman. Everything's fine. <laughs> I, can, I, can, I can weather this. This isn't the only thing in my life. Everything's fine. I just don't want to ruin the enjoyment for other people as well because I am quite vocal. If I'm going to watch a bad movie, mm. I will do it at home. I'll, I'll hate watch it. I'll fulfill that curiosity. Okay. Because, for example, when I saw The Hobbit, mm. I went to The Hobbit uh, when that yeah, was out. Yeah, that could And I was really so vocal. Yeah. I like sigh and it's like, this isn't fun for everyone else. Mm. I know it's a bad movie if I buy a large popcorn, finish it before the film <laughs> is done and then I'm like, I remember with The Hobbit, I was like, Oh no! No, it's just me in the film. I have no distraction. It's like you were at the unexpected party. Like you, you were there eating with the dwarves and cleaning him out of the larder. Yeah. And then it's like the popcorn's gone as well. And you look up, it's like, oh, they're still singing. It's, That's like, pure Tolkien, though. I'll defend the singing. To oh, my dying day. I don't have a problem with singing, like in the books. Yeah, I don't need to see it. I, if I want to see, I'm going to go to fucking Moulin Rouge. I don't want to watch yeah. like. I just can't. I can't stand. They, they fucked up my favorite scene. Fucking hate. I'm still angry about it. Oh, I can tell. I'm still fucking angry about it. <laughs> you are standing up. <laughs> your fists are clenched. I'm creating, creating dragon sock puppet hand with you, my fingers. You are holding my shirt. 
<laughs> you shouldn't have worn lapels, Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's cool. All right, so, okay. So does this mean, uh, so you're quite known for your film rants? Yeah, I think, I mean, there's nothing more With fun friends. than, like, hating something. Yeah. And, like, going off on one. But then it's really mm. frustrating, because I think it's, it encapsulates life in general, like... Because it's so much easier to, to talk about what you hate than what you love. Mm. You know, mm. like it's so easy to like rant about a film and yeah. say these are all the reasons why it's bad. But if someone like does that to you about a film you love, you're like, yeah. no, it's it's just good. Yeah. It's good. You can't really come up with reasons to combat that. Do you think that it's subjective? Uh, within reason. That's what I'm saying. Because it's like, yeah. it should be objectively, quantifiably good. But yeah. maybe we're all struggling to admit that we just like something because of something that happened in our childhood. Yeah. Or, you know... Because you yeah. love it. But, you know, yeah. like, I love The Mask, but I'm not going to argue that it's better than The Deer Hunter. <laughs> you know, like, it's... That's not true. They're both great. I both very much enjoy both of them. But that's... I mean, I didn't dress up as The Deer Hunter as a little kid. No. It would be very problematic if I did. <laughs> Is there actually a picture of you dressed up as The Mask? No. Uh, if so, I need it for this I had podcast. a green, like, beanie hat that I put over my face. It just spit in circles on the playground. I was obsessed That's with The Mask. Amazing. I genuinely think uh, the... Uh, the, the costume and the yeah. imagery yeah. of the mask is one of the best in film history. I, I love that. I would put up there like uh, like Doctor Strangelove's costume. I, I think it's the that. iconography of that character is amazing. Wow. I love that. I, I love that film too. Absolutely. And like the, I remember that was just at the time along with Who Framed Roger Rabbit Yeah. when I was obsessed with how they did things. Like the bit where um, Eddie's got Roger in his trench coat and I watched the documentary of how they had these you know, like metal gears and stuff to create this kind of movement inside. Mm. And then with the mask, it's the, the CG of the tongue coming out. And mm. it was just when CG was getting good. So it's like, I was a fan of it and what they were doing with it yeah. as well. But yeah, you're absolutely right. It's a fucking brilliant character. But then that's the thing, because there's ways to be a fan of film and to love cinema. Like you can love just the experience, you can love the storytelling, but then you can have the bit behind it. Because mm. I like that as well. Mm. Not necessarily in terms of the production, mm. but like the chaos <laughs> I love the madness of like uh, filmmaking. Yeah. I was talking to someone recently about like The Exorcist. Yeah. And how fucking nuts that shoot was. Yeah. Like William freaking slapped the guy who played Father Merrin wow. to get a response. Oh, I fucking love it. And yeah. I love the film. I mean, it's very illegal. Yeah, yeah you probably wouldn't get away with a lot of that now. You yeah, couldn't exactly. do that yeah, now. No, like, I'm not going to slap like no. <laughs> Steve Buscemi to get like, a performance. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. like making monsters ink too. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, but like you know, but I love those stories. You know, like a, a Guru Wrath of God, like everyone going mad in the jungle. Oh right, is that the one Herzog? Yeah, is that the one where yeah. when um, the indigenous people were going to kill uh, wow. Klaus Kinski, and oh he was like, God. "No, because I need to finish the film." <laughs> or like Apocalypse Now with the heart attack, and yeah, like, heart I don't attack. care if he dies. I don't care if he dies. <laughs> we got to make this fucking film, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating. Like I think that's like because I always think that the, the film is like, the, is like an iceberg. Like that's we what we see mm. seems like yeah. huge, but there's something massive underneath it. Yeah, and it all seems like really specific choices. But as you're right, it could have just been like whatever they could do at the time. I love the excess. I love the fact that they made it actually cold. Yeah, like the whole set it's is refrigerator a refrigerator. Set. It's fucking amazing. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I love those little stories and things like that. And nowadays, with the advent of 
special effects and all that kind of stuff. We just have these films. There is artistry in special mm. effects, but it's also just like you. Should, same with the Hobbit. Like the Lord of the Rings is so good because they're making three films. They've got a huge budget, but they don't have unlimited scope to do anything. And the Hobbit is what happens when you give Peter Jackson that ultimate power. Yeah, but I think we're gonna see. I think it's gonna be interesting to see how many of these films survive, mm. like forty years time. Yeah, like you watch Ran. Those battle scenes in Ran will never age because Which it's one's real. Ran? Ran is the adaptation of uh, King Lear, the Kurosawa. Kurosawa oh fuck! I've got to watch that. So it's amazing. It's like to explain what those battle sequences are like. They were mm. a huge influence on. Uh, the Battle of the Bastards. Yeah. So yeah, that yeah. sort of visceral sense of like just horses everywhere, chaos. That will never date because we're watching real footage. Yeah. Whereas like you watch like The Hobbit. Yeah. That's special effects. You're dying. That's going to date. You're, you're <laughs> we're dying. dying. You feel yourself dying. You feel yourself self decay. Like the footage of the fox going into like nothing. <laughs> and like... You don't like that, that's gonna date. That's that's gonna look older and older as special effects evolve. But to watch something really happen, to watch real spectacle, mm. will never be boring. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's let's take it back a little bit. How did you get into film? I don't know. How I got into. It. I think my uncle used to. Um, I got some uncle had like a huge VHS collection, so I'd go to visit right. him. Mm. He'd give me a huge crate essentially of videos to take home. And I'll just binge them. Nice. And I don't know what it... But I guess I found, like, there was something mystical about going to the video store. Yeah. It was like... I felt like films contained secrets. And secrets about what it was like to be an adult. Like, Ooh. I was fascinated by it. If something had an 18 sticker on it... Yeah. I wanted to know what was behind that. Why wow. was... It, like, American Beauty. Why was a story about a man an 18? Yeah. It, yeah. Didn't, it didn't seem violent. Yeah. It's not particularly, like, sexualized. Yeah. Like, the sex yeah. in it. But what about that... What what's that missing? What's that missing ingredients that makes it that you shouldn't have been watching it? Yeah, I yeah. wanted to know. I was like fourteen and was fascinated with like middle age. I wanted yeah, to know about middle age on the <laughs> right. It shows. I finally caught up to like who I've always wanted to be. Exactly. Like I was like watching like. Wait until you get a little salt in your pepper and your beard, and you're gonna be oh, set. For it's life. gonna be perfect. Wait till I get a beard. <laughs> it's gonna be great. But like no, it, you've got you've got the sexy holes in your beard thing going on. The patchiness. It's yeah, brilliant. Like, I've lived something. I'm like, incredibly jealous. But like you know, I, kids my age were like, we'd be watching Van Helsing, and I'd come in and be like, guys, has anyone seen the ice storm? <laughs> That's what fascinated me. So I love like six feet under and like on TV, like I wanted to know like are you, that are, pain. Do you like Ang Lee's The Hulk? No. I really liked that at the time because I felt like it was really grown up. See, I've heard it's good. I might go back to it. It's really, it's a piece of art. It's almost trying not to be a successful film. But I love this. I, I kind of respect. <laughs> Ang Lee tanked himself. It's like, it's like um, uh, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. It's like a film doggedly trying not to make people like it. I've not seen him. Yeah, it's like it's it's the cinematographer. I think is the guy who did Amelie, and it's just oh, like a fucking painting. And David Yates almost stringently never does a close up. <laughs> it's like everything oh. is so fucking obs- <laughs> like just like it's like yeah, you like Harry Potter, you have to watch this one. <laughs> this one's gonna we're gonna make it almost un- unwatchably like because of that. I have a real soft spot for it. That's a bold move. Sorry, I interrupted you. You were talking about your. But I love that sense. Like there was like. You know, you're. I grew up in Luton, so like in this mm. small town, which isn't like you know known that much for like you know artistry. We didn't mm. know like art house cinema. I wanted no. to see a David Lynch film. I had to like go to London. Yeah. So I like the fact you can go to a video store and get like a little nugget of history. Yeah. You can watch like a film. You can watch Rashomon. 
A yeah. nine-minute film from 1950s Japan. I can get. So you, I can were, go to you nice... were watching Rashomon like when you were like a teenager and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Because I was amazing. Because yeah, I'd look at Empire. Actually, had a list of hundred greatest films. Yeah. And I just went through that list. Right. Everything on that list I wanted to see. It was like traveling back in time mm. or going to places in the world that you mm. can go to. I mm. still feel that to this day. Like if I want to, like I went to see Shoplifters last year. It's like that's amazing. I can know what it's like yeah. to be in an era of Japan, which. I can't afford to go to. Mm. I can mm. go to uh, watch Burning. I can go to an area of like mm. South Korea, which I can't afford to go to. Mm. And also, I'm fascinated by hell. So like, film can take me to hell. <laughs> and then I can come back. You know? Yes. Yes. I can watch uh, Eraserhead or Irreversible yeah. and be in hell for a little bit. Well, I, I can't come watch Irreversible. Uh, my, my housemates were watching it in uni one day. I just came in at the beginning of that scene. Oh really? Uh, and and before anything had happened, and uh, I'd, I'd heard of the scene, and I was like, I just turned around and walked out of the, the room, and I still to this day have not been able to bring myself to watch it. I mean, it is a nightmare, mm. but I love that. I yeah. love to experience a true cinematic nightmare, right? And I think Gaspar Noé does that better than anyone. So yeah. like irreversible climax right oh my I took my girlfriend to see that and I felt really bad because at half mm. this song I'm a massive film snob and not fantasy films with so <laughs> let's never do it yeah, it's not <laughs> let's great. never go halfway through she was like I can't handle this yeah. I think I'm gonna have to go and I was like cool I'll meet you at home <laughs> I'm not gonna leave. I told you. <laughs> hey, well, Batman's parents did that, and they got fucking shot. So. <laughs> right? Who? Yeah, egg on their face. I have deprived the world a Batman. Yes. <laughs> that's that's why we're in the situation we're in. That, that's why the world is on fire. I I had to watch films that that were older for me mm. because to, to avoid spoilers, because I'd be in a, a, like the ending of Seven, the ending of Fight Club. I have older sisters and I read Empire magazine so I knew the twists oh fuck so I would I mean there's only been a couple of twists that like the sixth sense that like I didn't see coming because I saw it just in time but it means I would have to go and watch these films see that was spoiled by SMTV Live <laughs> which is so frustrating yeah but what was your first twist because I know it's a real Ooh, momentous experience yes what was my first twist outside of Star Wars I think that's like that's yeah. a big one also, I think so. I, I feel like that that one feels like something I always knew. Yeah, it just it, it was never bad. It was just always the first twist. It's a good question. Mine was the Usual Suspects. Yes, and it blew my fucking mind. Yes, I could, I was like, you can do that. Yes, that's insane. I like remember like saying to my mom, I was like, and at the end, you realise it was him. Me too. I that's exactly what we did. I couldn't believe it. Okay, I, I I think I think I would say that yes, definitely. That, that we we watched it and then we went and did that kind of like oh my god, and then we like, and then you you do that thing where you rewatch it over and over again yeah. to try and uh, retroactively work out how they did it, um, how they made you feel like that. And I think there was this one thing that me and my brother did. We watched Reservoir Dogs, and we were such chicken shits that we fast forwarded a scene when he starts cutting the ear off. Yeah, we were like, I don't think we can handle this. And me and David, because basically, just set just set this up. Me and my brother David, we uh, were practically the same person for the first like eighteen years, essentially. And we would watch these movies. We had this. We had the living room and the playroom, and the playroom had the TV in it. Mm. And me and David would just take over this room. So if you imagine, there's a TV in the corner, and then the two adjacent walls have both got a sofa, 
and me and my brother would lie on each sofa <laughs> so no one else could sit down. We would drape ourselves over Perfect the sofa. Perfect symmetry. Perfect symmetry. And we would and we would kind of meet in the middle and discuss <laughs> what we were watching. <laughs> Essentially. And, um, and we had a wall full of... Uh, we weren't really video store guys. We were recorded off the TV to... To a tape, guys. Oh, I was both. Yeah, man. Those were the, and those are the films you'd watch again and yeah, again yes. and again. Yeah. Written in pencil because that was legible. Yes, 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 yes. And also the fact that it's like a weird double feature. They never, they, or the, the two films on the tape never really had anything to do with each other. Yeah. So it's like, it's almost like you have this, if you if you did just want to feel like you could just watch it straight through, you had these weird double features. Well, you'd you know fill it mean? up somehow. The film was two and a half hours. You just put an episode of like South Park on the end. Yeah, exactly, it. exactly. It's like it's like, hey, I kind of feel like watching LA Confidential followed by Dune. Let's do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but we basically um, we we started fast forwarding and watching it in fast forward to see if Mr. Blonde killed the guy, and we saw Mr. Blonde get shot by Mr. Orange. Spoilers. And we were like, oh, okay, rewind, 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 rewind. And then we rewound it and then watched it in real time, knowing that he wasn't going to kill the cop yet, or the cop wasn't going to okay, die yet. Yeah. We just couldn't, we were on such tender hooks, we couldn't fucking do it. And it, it didn't ruin the enjoyment, weirdly. But, it was, but I remember that vividly as like the moment when we were so invested in something, we couldn't allow it to just happen to us. Yeah. And I don't think we did, we ever, I think that, that, that twist... I love that twist because it's just what you want to happen at that moment. Mm. The guy you supposedly dead in the corner is suddenly a fucking badass and shoots him like 18 times. And it's like this one long tracking shot. And like Mr. Blonde was like my brother's favourite character in film for about... My brother's a psychopath. That, that says a lot. His favourite book is like Mr. Hyde. You know what I mean? Like he's like, he's an insane person. <laughs> oh God. He's a l- lovely guy though. <laughs> um, and our dad fucking hated it. Our dad, dad hated any films that had criminals in them. And our mum is the dark horse. She's the one who made us watch. He it? hates film with criminals in. He, that yes. is very specific. Yes. Has he what? Just seen three films? Yes, exactly. He hasn't seen Goodfellas. <laughs> he hasn't seen... He, like, mum was the one who was making us watch like... I hate um, the bicycle thieves about yeah. that fucking villain. <laughs> he used to say, the only interesting thing about a criminal is whether or not they're in jail. <laughs> oh my wow. god. Yeah. <laughs> Who's your dad? The judge from Sweeney Todd. That is insane. This puritanical man. Exactly. <laughs> William Raymond Trumbull. <laughs> Mild mannered. <laughs> Straight middle A class white man. Dickens villain. <laughs> yes, exactly. He just doesn't like he doesn't like bad things. He doesn't like bad things. He doesn't like violence, doesn't like swearing. So mum was the one who was making us watch uh, Science of the Lambs and stuff and like wow. I think she slowly got dad into through like um, watching like CSI and stuff they would watch they, now they just watch police or legal procedurals okay so as long as justice is served <laughs> oh, wait. But that's interesting to talk about Reservoir Dogs because that's the film that made me truly love like adult films yeah and made reassured me that I'm okay with violence. Yes. Like I'm a, like on screen violence. Yeah. Like no, I no, can handle I need, it. I need that clarified. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, baby, I was like, violence is fun. <laughs> I went out with my. Yeah, well, you you are grabbing me by the shirt um. <laughs> <laughs> with my sweat, my fit knife. But like, I am dressed as a full droog. But like, I was. <laughs> a full droog. You never Not go, half droog. You never go full droog. Oh. <laughs> You know, and it was like I could handle it, but I had to sort of wade into thoughts to an extent when I was like getting into like films and mm. sort of entering the realm of horror. Because horror really, the concept of horror really scared me. Mm. I wasn't. I was so like when I watched watched uh, The Exorcist, mm. I taped it off television because mm. there's a big event of like The Exorcist on television, and it scared me 
so much yeah. the concept of the exorcist. It seemed demonic. Yeah. It seemed like they had captured something which should not be captured mm. and was now putting it out into film. Because mm. also I was raised, uh, I went to church growing up and like they told us oh, like this is demonic. And when I eventually wanted to watch the exorcist because like it's uh, meant to be a masterpiece, mm-hmm. you know, I should see that as part of like uh, yeah. my film. Yeah. So I take it off TV and would watch it in 15 minute increments before going to school because mm. that way I had all That's day to get over it. That's so interesting. You microdosed. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, this is fine. Yeah. It's actually a profound meditational faith. <laughs> it's, it's actually really beautiful. Also, it has a happy ending. It doesn't, yeah. I mean, I mean, as much as you could want for, it's a really good ending. Which is surprising. Yeah, yeah. it does have a happy ending. I hate horror films where there's a bad ending. I can't stand horror films where they all die. I'm like, well, that to me feels like wasted time. No, that's what I want. I know. I want nihilism. Yeah, like like Black Mirror episodes. Like, I want nightmares. Okay. I want no resolution. I want us to be stuck there with this realisation that no one gets better. See, this is what happens when you take kids to church, people. Don't do it. You realise there is no God. I was raised by secularists. (laughs) And I like a good fucking happy ending. We were uh, God is dead and we embrace the devil. It's, it's the best. And we killed him. And we become fascinated with the concept of hell. That's lo- no, I love that. You're really fascinated with the concept of hell. Oh, I love lack of resolution. Like, I would think if a film just ends, yeah. oh, I will probably love that film. I do love a moment where a film ends at the exact right time. Mm. I, I'll give you that. I love yeah. a moment when a film ends not a moment too soon or too late. Yeah. You get that tension of like... Oh, I'm loving this but please end here please yeah. end here then please he does and you're like oh, it's like it. Whiplash like Whiplash ends exactly at the moment it's supposed to you yeah. don't need to have seen anything else for it to have worked oh, it's perfect yeah it's why I like the Babadook actually I really didn't like the Babadook you didn't like it uh, I really wanted to as well yeah I kind of got pretty early on it's like oh it's a metaphor for depression yeah yeah, yeah. this whilst I think that's a great story to tell mm-hmm. it's no longer scary Right, I see. What you I mean. thought it was a genuine monster. See, I, that's interesting though, because because I'm like the opposite. But maybe it's because I have depression. But I think it's one of those things where, like, I always want like the thing that makes The Exorcist interesting to me is that if you took the devil out of it, it it's still terrifying. Yeah, like I like the film uh, The Innocence. Have you ever seen that? No, I've not seen that. It's scripted by Truman Capote, and it's like a, one of the seminal, along with The Haunting. It's one of the seminal black and white horror oh, okay, ghost yeah. stories. And it's so. I mean, uh, uh, I now I feel like I'm going to spoil it for you. You should just go watch it, but. I realised about 20 minutes after the film, because I'm dumb, mm. I was on the bus, and I was like, oh, I just got it. The ghosts could or could not be real, and it doesn't change the plot. Yeah. And I love that. That, to me, makes it more meaningful. I just thought it was expositional. I thought every time they were saying the Babadook, they right. were just saying depression. Yeah, I see what you mean. Well, yeah, I see what you mean. And then you're going to, like, what, cure depression by keeping it in the basement and feeding it worms? Well, that's how I do it. <laughs> that's why those buckets are everywhere. Okay. Thanks for coming to my house for this. Uh, I'm sorry we had to do this in the basement. Uh. Yeah, it's intense. I'm like, I really wanted to love it. I preferred, oh, what else came out that year? There's another big horror film. I think it was The Witch. Oh, I haven't seen that. The Witch was that another... That It was an intense, but it was just like a horror film, but you know, yeah. not a horror film. It looked like I wouldn't be able to fast forward that. So I, no, I didn't just, go. <laughs> just an intense vibe that just maintains throughout. No, but I bet it was good. Was it really good? It's great. But the thing with Babadook, I would have loved the Babadook if the Babadook won. See, no, okay. See, that's the thing though, because I heard somebody say that they saw the witch. See, this is such an interesting difference between you and me, actually, because like, the, I think I saw somebody told me that they liked the witch up until the point where they uh, confirmed or denied whether or not that the supernatural element was real. Yeah. 
And so, but you, it sounds like that's what you're always waiting for. Yeah. You just always want it to be real. You want it to be about that because you're obsessed with hell. <laughs> I'm obsessed with hell. You're obsessed with hell. But also, <laughs> Macy's, I feel like, Macy's sound like I'm wearing like a fucking biker jacket. Like, you heard it here first. It's a scoop. Nathan Roberts. I rode her on a motorbike. Like, I'm obsessed with hell, baby. Well, better yet, hell's obsessed with me. That's your next Edinburgh show. Nathan <laughs> Roberts obsessed with hell. Obsessed with hell written on my knuckles. <laughs> the writing is really crammed. But like, no, but like, I love things that tap into the unquantifiable. Okay. So like the Babadook makes it logical. This right. is a logical villain. Whereas something, if you're tapping into the supernatural or something which mm. we can't, is untangible, mm. that fucks me up. So okay. that's why I love David Lynch. David Lynch yeah. taps into this yeah. other this other realm, mm. this uh, element of the subconscious mm. which we cannot escape or ever understand, but we can feel in a really yeah. raw and visceral way. Yeah, that turns me inside out. Twin Peaks yeah. like gave me nightmares. Mm. I've never seen Twin Peaks, oh, it's but amazing. that's because I don't want to be a a guy who shaves his head and pretends he's been a punk his whole life. Uh, it would be so <laughs> hypocritical for me for Sonny someone saying like, "Yeah, it's great, right?" I just started watching it. No, you can but, come in at any time. But, I think like, but I got, I got, I got previous. I got Mulholland Drive and um, Lost Highway. So I, I, I know, and I like Dune. I yeah. really like Dune. That's the one I've not seen. Dune's actually like the bit with the daggers is fucking genius. See, because it doesn't feel like raw Lynch. I don't want to see. It um, won't be. I don't want to see compromised Lynch. But then you could say it's like it's not raw Lynch in the way that Spartacus isn't raw Kubrick. But it doesn't mean you don't watch Spartacus. I've never seen Spartacus. Oh, That's okay. the one Kubrick well, film I've not seen. Interesting. Interesting. I could just talk to you all day. I now I just want to ask you what your favorite Kubricks are because one of my biggest. Um, I was in the middle of a fucking point. Okay, <laughs> I knew I knew this one was going to be labyrinthine. Uh, what was I saying about? Um, uh, yeah, Lost Highway. Lost Highway, I, I only watched because of the trailer for it on another VHS tape. Mm. And it was just that one scene of the guy meet, meeting the guy at the party and him going, we've met before, haven't we? So scary. I fucking love that scene. Well, where? At your house, don't you remember? In fact, I'm there right now. He goes, that's fucking crazy, man. <laughs> he goes, and then he gives him the phone and goes, call me. And then at the end, he, he picks up the he picks up the phone, and you hear the voice going, "I told you I was here." And Bill Pullman goes, "How'd you do that?" And then he goes, and then in the, it's the last shot of the trailer is just that the double laugh, the <laughs> <laughs> and like, but that scene is perfect. And I watched the whole film, and I liked the whole film. But that's the that's the only reason I love that film. Oh, is that that's one, one of the scene. best things I've ever done. But when he approaches and the music dies down, and yes. his pale face, and the music comes back up as he yeah. enters, and all this the the Fucking um, locations and mm. sets are perfect. Yeah. They're these non-rooms that look like Francis Bacon paintings. Yeah. So you, it's something that looks... It's a, like in a nightmare. It yeah. looks like your world, but it isn't. So yeah. you don't know where you are. You never feel safe. You feel like you can't escape because there's nowhere yeah. to escape to. Yeah. You're trapped in this film. Yeah. I'd say just to me in the middle, I'd say that Lynch is the one guy that I can enjoy without learning what the point was. Do you get what I mean? Yeah, because there... Well, I mean, there are people who who claim to, Mm. you know. I think I heard the best version of it was from Patricia Arquette herself on Mark Maron's podcast. Oh, really? She explains, uh, she asked David Lynch what it was, and um, he said, well, you decide what it is for you. And she Mm. came up with her own wonderfully feminist reading of it, and and now that's my favourite reading of the film, which Mm. is that this guy kills his wife, and then he imagines a version in which he meets her again as another guy, and she's she's still a lying bitch, and he hates her. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm like that's fucking genius that's, that's exactly cool. what that film is yeah. it's just misogyny 
presented as a nightmare. It's basically just a guy coming to terms with the fact that he's a misogynist who killed his wife. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Isn't that brilliant? And he pres- imagines himself as like a cooler, younger guy. Yeah. That's awesome. And then he's on the run from the cops and he's turning back into Bill Pullman at the end and it's like, fuck, oh, shit. Oh, that's so cool. I, love I need to watch that again. Right. Cool. We'll create a list. But <laughs> 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 Cubics, let's talk about Cubic because um, one of the greatest experiences of my life was watching 2001 and the year 2001 because as much as we just kind of sandbagged on my dad for a mm. bit, he is my route to science fiction. And as I say, secularist, non-religious, loves Star Trek, mm. the utopia of the future. He likes yeah. a high concept utopia. He hates dystopias. Ah, oh, see, Inverse. I, I know. On a dystopia. But also, there are no criminals in 2001, so that checks out. <laughs> or, or in Star Trek. Yeah, exactly. They don't even have money. They don't want to steal. It's pure. Yeah. What was your Blade Runner 2049 experience like? I think it's outstanding. Great. I prefer it to Blade Runner. Interesting. I have had a problem. I have seen Blade Runner about seven times, maybe. Interesting. I've hated it for six. <laughs> and the seventh time, I see it. Oh, I, I get see. it now. Oh, I, I thought you meant you loved it the first time and then you slowly just No, I've always it. hated Blade Runner. And a friend of mine was like, no, give it one more chance. Wow. I was like, fine. And yeah, I respect it. I... I would never put it on a list of my favourite films. I think it's yeah. deeply flawed. Yeah. There is a rape scene masquerading as a yes. sex scene, which, which is which, very problematic. Which, in my mind, is one of my biggest problems with the sequel, though, which is that the director seems to have uh, misunderstood that. Because a lot of it seems to be all kind of talking about Deckard and hers having a great love story. And I'm like, you yeah. didn't watch the film right. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Well, like, kind of just took the reading... You took the preferred reading. And then, like, and then there's an ill-advised... Uh, Singer, the hologram of the singer. Why have I forgetting his name? The one of the most famous singers oh, of Sinatra. all time. Yes, Frank Sinatra. An ill-advised Frank Sinatra hologram, who I'm pretty sure was like a, uh, I think, I think was also a, an abuser and a, you know, a bastard. Oh. And I just thought, and when I when that scene came along, I was like, is that them acknowledging <laughs> what's what the film actually ha- what actually <laughs> happened in that film that they seem to love so much? I mean, I really liked the film. Mm. I didn't hate it at all. I fucking, in fact, I can't wait to watch it again. Yeah, and get a proper rewatch, knowing what I'm gonna get see. But I think it's a complex one because I think Blade Runner really divides audiences at how you will read that in terms of your gender the, yeah. more than most other films because mm. I loved the second one but sort of my girlfriend and she felt really uh, unseen in it like she yeah. enjoyed it but yeah. she said the female representation was awful yeah. and I was like my, I get that I thought there was like a very powerful female representation <laughs> and that's when you switched her off and she just <laughs> and I uh, then she said some shit I wasn't really listening uh, I went back to drinking beers and smoking cigarettes uh, nervous watching she, Captain Kangaroo <laughs> but then she argued that uh women were overly sexualized in it and I think you know and their bodies were corrupted and used as props and I think there is a truth to that and whilst I think there's an argument you made of well if you're depicting yeah. a dystopian society yeah. where that does happen to women hmm. how do you balance that out yeah and I think there is a way to balance that out and hmm. I think there's a journey well, of doing that better than maybe what Denny Villeneuve yeah. did. Well, one thing that I found was that it was just unrealistic, was that if you were going to have a bunch of sex robots in the future, half of them would be men. Yeah. So, so in that problem, way, yeah. that's, the, that's the biggest problem, is it just it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. We need to, to see, more, be, yeah. see more dongs. Yeah. They, that's we, a big yeah. problem, Phil. We do need to see more dongs. Yeah. In fact, even if you, even if you had that holographic girlfriend character that was a holographic boyfriend, it would be mm. just, as, just as interesting. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, arguably... Arguably, the whole film is about misogyny 
very evidenced by the scene of the creator and the, the woman. So, like, mm. so you could argue it's that. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. It's that constant question of like, is depicting a subject glorifying the subject? Yeah. yeah. But then you you like it when you get slapped in the face with how horrible things can be. Oh, oh nightmares! I think censorship is really interesting because I won't like something, but I am very anti-censorship because. Mm. If you, especially if you think about something like Irreversible or something like that, because it's like, even though I could never, I couldn't watch it. I yeah. just couldn't watch it. I've seen scenes like that in other films which have been made palatable, and that's arguably a lot more corrosive. Yeah, 100%. It's like, if you're going to present some of the worst atrocities that are happening, yeah. then see it in all its ugliness. I think that's a big problem with movie violence. Mm. Like, I would much rather see... Uh, like David Lynch violence where yeah. it's you know the intense. bit with a table in Highway oh it's a nightmare I still think about that but as you should you should see violence as being grotesque rather than something bloodless and fun like yeah. I think war should be depicted like Saving Private Ryan yeah. rather than something watered down and hmm. and easy to digest but then I think there's a this is a hard thing to uh, approach because artists intentions play a big role in how we engage with what they see. Mm-hmm. So, you know, hypersexualized images in Blade Runner 2049, it's not for me to say, but personally, I'm more okay with that because I do think the intentions there are good. Yeah, yeah. But then if you look at something like Blue is the Warmest Color, which I've yeah. always loved, yeah. I've, I thought that was a masterpiece, but the more we learn <laughs> about Abdelatif Kashish, yeah. it seems like he is... If not a monster, then a prick. Yeah, it's going to make that film less and less palatable. Because yeah. I think I think that was he made... would have slapped Linda Blair. <laughs> oh, during rehearsals, like <laughs> I I feel that's going to be hard to watch because whilst yeah. it's a shame because there are these two monumental performances mm. at the core and it's a really beautiful love story. Yeah, there is this just hiding in the corner of the frame, this ugly little goblin that is him. Yeah, and that's going to make it harder to. Disavow. Like, yeah, it's completely. Be to, like, completely yeah, the the reason I can't watch Blue is the Warmest Color again is because I can't watch a twenty minute spag bowl eating sequence. You've got misophonia. I, like, oh, is that what it's called? Yeah, when you hate the sound of like people eating. The or... look of it. Like, there's a bit where they're smoking cigarettes together, and like a bit of ash lands on their one mm. of them's faces, and they don't wipe it off. Really, I love and, that. And that was more offensive to me than anything. <laughs> I love scenes of people eating and it's like no oh. no and it's a real thing in foreign film like you see it in um, I barely uh, go on dates like I can't, I can't handle it at all oh, I love like you see it in Shoplisters uh, by uh, Korea like there's loads of people like slurping uh, like eating <laughs> soup yes. oh, I, I love it I want I want that visual I mean that's the one thing to, that's the argument I used to make for Blue Summer's Colour you know when mm. arguing for the sex scene I was like yeah. it's about the body yeah. it's about body and all it's like weird functions mm. like mm. food and yeah. eating yeah uh, harder to explain away <laughs> now that the director is a monster his yeah. new film apparently uh, oh god it's called Mechtobe I Love You it's a trilogy and the last one apparently it's like <laughs> the reviews say 70% of it is just shots of butts harder right. to uh, harder to justify if, if you watch uh, God's Own Country then I, I, I can wear that as a badge of honour like I, I, I love that I've not seen that it's so good there's like it's such butts? A, it's, no, I mean, it's, it's not that there's a lot of butts but there's a lot of um Here's what it is: is that you know, like Brokeback Mountain, where they start kissing and then suddenly he's inside him. Yeah. Uh, th- this film, 
acknowledges how that is not possible. <laughs> In fact, um, I saw a film recently with Rachel Weiss. Uh, I keep forgetting what it was, it was Disobedience. about. Disobedience. Yes. And that was, seemed like the responsible version of blue is is the warmest colour because it showed the weird strangeness of sex. There's a bit where one of them just spits in the other one's mouth. Yeah. And I'm like, that's so unsexy unless you're in it. Unless yeah. you're one of them. I think sex is, is as a thing. Unless you're one of the two people having it, it's the stupidest, weirdest... So the whole idea of sex looking good from the outside I find really ridiculous. Yeah. And I love films that acknowledge... So yeah, you're right. Or just acknowledge the admin. Yeah, it's clumsy yeah. and weird. We've never seen a wet wipe in a movie. Have we ever seen a wet wipe? Uh, we've seen similar things. I mean, there's a great moment in Trainspotting where um, Ian McGregor pulls off the condom. I love that. Yes, I love that. But I think that's just you and yet again <laughs> trying to get that... Just get that dong out. Get that ropey silhouette out. <laughs> <laughs> that's all, and I think yeah. Gaspar Noe's quite good at that. Like, uh, the Reversible, there's um, another... There's like a sex scene, an actual right. sex scene between, to, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The end between um, Vincent Cassell and Monica Bellucci, and it's yeah. and that's where the film I think is good because right. it balances that heaven and hell, and the intimacy between them oh. is so beautiful. Yeah, and there's like a, that's the kind of sex scenes that I think should be in a film. Yeah, with Monica Bellucci and Vincent Cassell. Yes, just exclusively. Well, they are they are adorable. As they're a, as they're a beautiful pair, people. Aren't they? Yeah, yeah. What, we, what should we talk about now? We've kind of done guilty pleasures. You got guilty pleasures? My biggest guilty pleasure, I think, is I Heart Huckabees. <gasps> yeah. Did you see that? I was addicted to the trailer for that. Yeah, me for too. For about a year. When it came out, I just watched it again and again. And that song, the John Bryan song, Knock Yourself Out, is one of my favourite songs. I on the trailer. saw John Bryan um, last year. Really? In Largo. I was obsessed with Largo. This right. club in LA where, like, Paul Thomas Anderson would go all the right. time. Okay. So it's where he first saw, like, Amy Mann. Really? And, like, it's where John Bryan plays there. There's a residency once a month. Uh, it's where he met, like, loads of people. Mm. Who were sort of in Magnolia. So around that time, like, yeah. uh, Elliot Smith would play there. Uh, Beck plays there a lot. Amazing. All these amazing comedians still play there, like, Mulaney, John... Uh, oh, I fucking love it. Uh, Pete Holmes. Let's go to Largo, man. It's the best... No, and I want to go. Look at the lineup once a month. Right. Tig Notaro, Mike Babigla. Oh, yeah. It's Nick Kroll. It's fucking insane. You've named nobody that I don't fucking Sarah like Silverman. Oh. Uh, Maria Bamford. All the best. All the yes, best. All the best. best. So um, I went there to see John Bryan and he played Knock Yourself Out and I was losing my goddamn mind. It was yeah. one of the best things. But like, yeah. so many people hate I Harkabees and I understand it because it is very pretentious. Yeah. And <laughs> it doesn't fully work. No. But I... Love its ambitions. The score is one of my favourite scores of all time. Mm. Again, that's a weird one because again, you, you again got... the director is a monster. Yeah. Yes, yes. It's hard to enjoy this like fun existential comedy about like the oneness of everything when yeah. he's calling Lily Tomlin a cunt behind the screen. Yes, it's like, exactly. Yeah, you're not quite zen, are yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think it was funny because I was I was so addicted to this trailer that my my best mate Greg, who has been on the podcast. He bought me the film on DVD for my birthday oh, nice. one year because he knew I watched that trailer over again and I just didn't like it. I was like, oh, really? how weird is that? There were some bits I did like. Mm. Like, I really liked the scene with um, Jude Law coming apart at the yeah. seams. The, the, the no, no mayo scene I thought was, like, brilliant. I think his performance is brilliant. Yeah. Jude Law is, when used well, yeah. it's fucking great. I completely agree. I love him in Road to Perdition. He's great in Repetition. You've seen Vox Lux. 
No. Uh, it's a new film by Brady Corbett with uh, Natalie Portman as a monstrous pop star. And it's about really? the role of pop music in like contemporary culture. It's, Sweet. He's in that as okay. a manager. I think good rule of thumb is if you have someone who's known for being like a matinee idol, uh, leading actor guy, get him to play a fucking villain or a piece of shit. And yeah. it's the best thing. Like The Tom Cruise like, effect. The Tom, yeah, Collateral is fucking astounding. Yeah, he's great in that. Collateral, uh, Magnolia. Yep. Some fucking dirtbag in that. Yeah, Magnolia is such a good film, and he's so fucking good in it. He's so good in that. There's scenes in that that's like watching a play because it's all one shot. It's like watching him do a one man show, and, and yeah. he's a brilliant, brilliant fucking actor. I completely fucking agree. absolutely kills it. Who was the other one I was thinking of? Yeah, Leo in Django Unchained. Like, just let them play. Oh, so good, yeah. The worst person in the world, and it works so well. And by the same token, take the worst that the guys who always play the psychopaths, get them to play the nicest guy in the world, and it's life changing. Examples. I'm trying. I'm, I'm trying to think of one that. I suppose it's like Christoph Waltz and Django as well. Yeah, you could say that. I'd say also. Um, I, I know. Maybe I'm just gonna go look at my my film. But then you get people. Then you get people who can do both and have this weird ability to be so frightening and so vulnerable, like mm-hmm. Phil Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. Like he can be this huge presence, but then also just so damaged and weak. Mm. And again, that's what I loved about uh, Daniel Day-Lewis in Phantom Thread. Like, you've got this guy who... To be around him is so scary. But in this, he just plays this petulant child. So yeah, this yeah, man-boy. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson really knows how to pick him, doesn't he? He's got, mm. like... I, I feel really sad for Hoffman, obviously, because it's like... You can tell he was really only just getting started, like, being a leading man. Do you oh, know what I mean? Like he the had mo- so much more. The Master, mm. that's... In my opinion, his best performance. Hmm. It's something else. I think the master hypnotizes you. Yeah. And it gets into you. It gets into your bloodstream and mm. just leaves you in a space. I remember coming at the cinema, seeing it the first time. And I was, I was just mm. struck. I, I couldn't really talk about it for like until like half an hour. I was like, I just need to let it sink in and mm. unpack what I just experienced. I personally think it's the best film of this decade. Mm. Like, or at least my favorite one. But it's... Something like Joaquin Phoenix's performance, mm. the places it goes to, and you'll never have the same experience with it. It's yeah. a raw shark test of a film. Mm. You'll take something different from it each time. It's a living, yeah. breathing entity. Yeah. And the poster is a raw shark. It is a raw shark test. <laughs> I think that's, yeah, I mean, it's just such a tragedy because it's just like, he really was just like operating on this level. It's like so sad when you see somebody like just getting started. Yeah. It's like the things that we've been deprived. Of course the mainstream in our house cinema, like you know, his work in happiness Mm. was something else that's so special. Yeah. The fact he could like him in Boogie Nights, very small role. Yeah. And just that scene where he breaks down. Yeah. I'm a fucking idiot. Uh, I'm a fucking idiot. I think in Magnolia, that's another great example because he plays probably the most functional character in the whole film. Yeah. And he's known for these pathetic losers and he's probably the nicest. I think of that as like a against type casting. Yeah. But I guess if you knew him, I think that was what Paul Thomas Anderson said, was like, if you knew him, his character's even called Phil. Yeah, that's who he is. Yeah, exactly. He was just this nice, sweet man. Yeah, it's not a big personality in the film, but he Mm. just infuses it with such warmth. Mm. The scene when he makes the bed... Yeah, it's oh. devastating. Yeah, this is gonna turn into just us. <laughs> Back to the about Fucking, Magnolia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, what else have I got? Let's say so. So, do you think a film what? should be entertaining? That's a fucking big question. Do I think a film should be entertaining? Yes, but also, 
Maybe. No. <laughs> so when you say entertaining, you don't mean that kind of like what you were talking about earlier of like knocking you on your ass, being upsetting. Mm. Would you call it entertainment, what Irreversible does to you? Yeah, because well, I think it, you shouldn't. Like, I think if you come out, you're like, yeah. bloody hell, that was entertaining. <laughs> you should be on a list forever. <laughs> a good time with the movies. <laughs> no questions asked. Oh, finish my popcorn. I had a hot dog. Uh, I bought it from home. It was very cold. <laughs> you never want to be watching that scene and hear the sound of, like, fucking Doritos being... <laughs> fucking nachos being eaten. <laughs> Furiously... <laughs> Furiously chewed. Scraping the bottom of the popcorn box. It's like, give it up. It's just kernels and scrapings. But like... So like certain films like... Um, what's a big example? Like, There's a great quote by uh, Abbas Kharistami. Obviously, so pretentious. It was like, Please, no, this great, is why we get you on, man. The great films are those films where you check the time, you check how long I left, like, mm. you check if you left the oven on. Mm. But those can leave you in a really great place afterwards. Like mm. a great example is like an Arab Abbas Kiristami film um, that's called Taste of Cherry, where it's a guy driving Taste of a cherry. Yeah, it's, uh, it won the Palme d'Or in uh, I think '97. Okay, and it's an Iranian film, and it's about this guy who wants to commit suicide, but I think I think suicide is illegal in um, in Iran, right. so he's got to get someone to bury him. Wow. And he speaks to three people, and he just drives around and he tries to convince them to like bury him. So he's like a lie? No, no. Once or he's like dead, he'll die because, and then yeah. bury him to hide the fact that he killed himself. Yeah. Right. Or it's just so like he's you know can be buried and like not disgraced and mm. he's trying to convince people to do it. Yeah. And it's pretty dull. It is a yeah. lot of pe- him just driving around thinking. Mm. But it saved me for months. That actually is one of my biggest cinematic pet peeves. That's another thing that we can talk about. Actually, is pet peeves. What people so, just driving? Yeah. No, it's not driving. It's shots. It's whole films that are devoted to uh, following a guy around. By behind their back cinema verite style mm. of which I guess the most popular version would be something like The Wrestler Interesting, but I think maybe it's like you know just following them around and yeah. you're employing art house tropes mm. in the most superficial way yeah. then fuck you forever yes but there's like a big movement that, not big movement now it's always been around but like people talk about slow cinema slow cinema movement mm. so people like Bellatar mm. uh, Lav Diaz have you seen any of their films? no so better, I think his longest one is eight hours, and Lucky is maybe nine. Fuck! So like, the longest I've done is four. How do you even do that? Yeah. Where, where, what cinema shows these films? Uh, none. Like, <laughs> there'll be like one screening at a film festival. But like, wow. are they long in pace? Are yeah. they full of stuff? Actually, or are they, they are slow? fully examples of like. So a better film, you will follow. Okay. If someone's going to go somewhere, yeah. you'll just walk with them across right. town. Oh, I see. But yeah, what? I get it. It's great about this type of films because, like, there's this film that just came out recently. I think you'd like it, but it's, again, it's a real undertaking called An Elephant Sitting Still. And it's <laughs> four hours long. And again, if you walk with the character, you're just going to stay with them. Mm. And to sit down and watch that, like, I sat down and watched it on a Friday night, and that was like a task. That <laughs> date was, like, night. Yeah, date night. <laughs> hey, honey, want to come over and be bored with me? But, um... Do you want to watch somebody else go for a walk? <laughs> But like, and it's like an undertaker. You don't watch something the same way you watch Thor Ragnarok. It's not really entertaining. Mm. But I will never forget that experience. So, yeah. for example, like, so there is a scene in that film. This is like the inciting incident. The yeah, inciting yeah, yeah. incident yeah. happens after like fifty minutes. And, uh, <laughs> Which is that's it sounds pretty reasonable considering four hours. Yeah, that that's, checks that's, out. Like, like, I'll take that. Some of these podcasts don't start properly until fifteen <laughs> minutes in. <laughs> 
15 minutes. I'm Nathan, by the way. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah, nobody knows what the fuck we're talking about for the first but 15. It, it puts you in like a, an amazing headspace. Of, like, there's one scene where you're following this character around for maybe like five minutes. A young boy, and you know he's from an impoverished background. His uh, family don't give a fuck about him. His mm. school doesn't give a fuck about him. The school's like losing funding. It's it's, uh, it's Chinese, so it's like certain like really far out remote Chinese town mm, mm. and you're following this kid around and he's getting bullied and he's trying to defend his friend and the inciting incident is he pushes the bully who's from quite a prominent gangster family and the bully falls on the stairs and dies wow. and we've just followed this kid like oh mm. now what do we do mm. and we follow we continue to follow him right. again for like another five so now minutes now it's a device now yeah. really, but that's really clever and we're stuck in the headspace we yeah. can't escape his headspace we nice. just stuck with him, having done this. Uh, uh, yeah. This thing you can't. There's no putting the bullet back in that gun. Like mm. he, his life has changed now. I love and We're that. stuck with him. That's great. And I think that's not entertaining. Like you know, that's 50 minutes of where are we going? What's yeah. happening? You know, moments of like yeah. your mind's drifting. Mm. But to get that scene yeah. is worth it. Here's what it is: it is not about. It's not without purpose. Exactly. Yeah. It makes. I think I was one of those kids in uni where I. One of the reasons why I didn't like a lot of art house films that I did see was because my feeling was this is why I loved Spielberg and, and Zemeckis and all these guys because they're the guys who who make their presence known mm. which are, are some people in film school that I went to with were like that's not that's not what directing should be the director should be invisible and I think you always need to see a mind at work it's like mm. nothing the great thing about Spielberg is there's no shot that isn't not telling you what it's doing but it, like you know that he wouldn't be pointing the camera there for no reason yeah uh, and it, that sounds like the high art version of that is what you've just described yeah like 15 minutes of following a kid around and then you realise oh fuck you did that deliberately and, it, and now I know why it's like I saw Booksmart the other day I thought it was brilliant so good fucking brilliant her film. direction is phenomenal for a debut it's stunning yeah and she's oh my god but the argument that, that's what I was about to say because I was literally talking to my date about that and and thankfully she didn't find it irritating mm. of halfway through I was like am I like just irritating you by trying <laughs> to describe what she was what mm. the filmmaker was doing and she was like no I I, don't, I didn't do film it's fine mm. but it's the fact that yeah you're locked in the argument and it and then the way they faded the sound out yeah such a beautiful way of saying the content of the argument is not important. It's just an argument between two best friends who are teenage girls, and it's just like you know they're going to regret every single word of it. Yeah, and and we and the camera doesn't cut, and like my date was like, yeah, I didn't even notice it was one shot. It's like, mm. but I noticed. It's like that thing of like, fuck. It's when you it's like, that moment when you're watching a film and something's happening, and then slowly you twig what the director's doing it deliberately, and then you feel respect and admiration. Hundred percent. Fucking love that moment. Everything's been thought about. Yeah, to come to, back to Paul Thomas Anderson, but he does that perfectly. Like the way the camera moves through a scene mm, mm. is so fucking precise. Mm. Like we've seen Punch Drunk Love. Yes, yes. A scene where Barry goes to um, his sister's house for the party, mm. and it just slowly pushes in. Mm, as mm. his sisters come and surround him and you mm-hmm, c- completely mm. feel this claustrophobia, mm. claustrophobia. it's yeah. perfect yeah. it's art and I think that's the great thing about what Break a Bad used to do uh, yeah yeah. you'd cut to a new location and you'd be like why are we being shown this yeah. I know it's for a reason yeah. but why yeah. where are we what's happening and you're com- constantly like uh, unpacking 
Yeah. It's such a fun, I, I love anything where you lean in the yeah. whole time. You're well, constantly engaged. Yeah. I think my favorite shot of Punchline Love is a shot of the three brothers where they kind of they accost him in the street, and then there's this shot of it just starts on one staring into the camera, looking completely vacant. Oh, so it good. looks like something out of an alien abduction movie, yeah. and it just pans backwards and reveals all three of the brothers. Yeah, those strange so, lights. So fucking cool and like weird, but like you know the director was like, see, this is my problem was that this is why I never became a uh, proper filmmaker, although I hope touch wood um, much like yourself that we will find our way back to it through what we're doing now aka comedy yeah because as comedians we're expected to generate our own content we actually get to be with comedians the only people who are required to be Orson Welles types you know yeah. in a film in a film if you if you wrote and starred and directed something in film school you're officially a twat but as a as a as a fucking stand up comedian it's like you, you get a meeting at the BBC and they're like well what do you got yeah, and you're you're the brand. You're going to be starring in it. So I That's feel so like I'll be able to do it again. But when I think I I kind of failed at being a filmmaker, and I think it's because I could always just see. This is why I'm a storyboard artist. I could always just see the shots mm. in my head, and it was the talking to other people, explaining it that I was I wasn't good at the people part of it. Yeah. I always knew what I wanted it to be. That that's why I love those moments in films where, like you say, like the the moment where you realize a shot is significant mm. and that it wasn't arbitrary. That's fu- yeah, like that's that's why I hate the pe- following people around films because so many of those are just arbitrary. There's no reason for them to have yeah. done that. That's uh, the thing. Anyway. Scrapper, like Hanukkah and lately uh, Ruben Osland, mm-hmm. you're just shown a frame, explore it. Yeah. You're given the time to like unpack it, explore it, look in every avenue. Mm. And I think that's coming to television and in weird avenues. Like if you look at uh, Atlanta and mm. uh, especially Barry. Have you seen Barry? No, with Bill Hader? Yeah. Oh, I want to see that. There's one episode of that, which is pure <laughs> cinema. Wow. And that's what's really exciting, especially as like a comedian. It's like, yeah. we are more likely to go from a position from, you know, the mm. stage to be mm. pitching things for television. Mm. And now the trajectory isn't just studio sitcom. Yeah. It's what is your voice? Yeah. Here is a for- new format, new exciting format to bring like your cinematic influences. You can, there is room for you to bring left field odd influences mm. to television. Yeah. That is like maybe, the goal. Maybe this is a appropriate time to actually talk about this, that, that you've got the Felix Dexter bursary. And so you, what did you do in film school? What was your specialism? Uh, screenwriting writing, right, writing. and directing I mean we didn't really focus on writing that much but yeah. I wrote shorts and directed shorts because when I was looking at the mm. cinephilia the other word for cinephilia is cineast which mm. is a person who loves film but is also a filmmaker oh. and that's what we we hope to be and kind yeah. of are and you uh, uh, have come you've dovetailed back around and you're in, you're you're writing and you've got the comedy and you're, you know, I mean, how's that going? How does it feel to... I mean, have you always been making films up until now? Or was there, like, a dip? Uh, it's probably been a dip over the past few years. Right. Like, my last short was t- 2015. Yeah. So, well, it was, yeah. like, 2011. So, yeah, I mean, you focus... As in couple... solo directed, 2011. Oh, I didn't direct it. I just wrote it. Oh, would you uh, want to do it? Sorry? Would you want to direct? Oh, I'd love to direct. But it's one of those things, I think you have to limit your focus. And mm. I still have the money and I can't like yeah. get the funds to yeah. direct a short so I'd rather just like focus I figured like get good at writing amazing the great thing about doing screenwriting and comedy is that you can one test like jokes mm. on stage <laughs> and also you're just aware more so that you're writing for an audience yeah I think you forget it's so easy to forget that 
that when you're like sitting in your desk at your desk at your computer like writing your script thinking this is fucking genius mm. are you just writing it for like you and like yeah. you forget that someone's got to sit through your bullshit yeah like, oh my god how many bad scripts have you written like like terrible like like oh. girl next door manic pixie dream girl so many me too man they're so bad oh like, my god oh I god. found a yeah. script that I wrote when I was 14 and I'm oh. talking about it in my show and I'm going to read, read like an extract it's so dumb. Oh, God. It's so stupid. The opening line is, <laughs> everything is out of focus. What? What, the is pre- in the line of dialogue? No, it's like, no, the, oh, the, 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 right. the stage direction is like, <laughs> at the base is, uh, all we expect at least is visibility. Let's yeah. just see what's on screen. It was, it's, it's I, I would so run, bad. run to the projectionist to complain. <laughs> <laughs> it's me. You, you've officially written a script designed to piss Stephen Trumbull off. Troll in the audience. <laughs> The only thing you could do better would be to show up to the screening and talk during it. That would be, that'd be amazing. That's fucking weird. So man. Bad. I had so many ones which were just about, about how I didn't have a girlfriend and you know what I mean? Just oh. terrible things. Not like, understanding, you know, violence wasn't for violence sake yeah. or to motivate male characters. All the things that then people then got paid to make bad movies using those toxic mm. tropes. I was that guy. It's such a yeah, good thing 100%. that I didn't have any success when I was young. Yeah, was, no one saw that. Because, yeah, yes. like films which you see now and you don't realise mm. are perpetuating, like, misogynist tropes. 100%. It's the worst. Yeah, mine were very much, like, manic, like nice guys, mm. manic pixie dream girls, like, yeah. influenced by Garden State. Like, oh, nothing God, Garden State is the should worst. be influenced by Garden State. Garden State is, is the Widowmaker. maker. <laughs> 100%. Of those films, it the, the Gun State, I think, basically ruined the first like at least half of my twenties, if not the whole twenties. Yeah, yeah. But also, I think it's very important. I think it shone a light on what men and movies shouldn't be. That's interesting. I like that. <laughs> it was worth it. Yeah. <laughs> it was, all it was worth it. it. It was all worth it. Zach Braff changed the world. He yeah. needed it. He was an innovator. He wasn't the hero we wanted, but the hero we needed. Thank you, JD. <laughs> We need some plinky plonky music to happen right now. <laughs> While we thank JD. <laughs> you are Superman. Oh god, fucking Peter Sarsgaard's in that film. Oh yeah. That's not worthy. And Sheldon. And Sh- is he? Yeah. Sheldon he's from the Big Bang Theory. Yeah, he's, in that he's film. the... That's who? Dressed as a knight. He's the guy that sleeps, I think, with someone's mind. Right. He's the one with the... the and with they have the... cereal in the... Oh, they sat around the table having cereal. The film's so kooky. Ian Holmes in it. Oh yeah. It... Why is Ian Holmes in it? Bilbo? Bilbo's in it. That's straight. That's fucking... That's not right. But you need that. I think those are the films when you're a teenager that you think are deep. Yeah. Like, Donnie Darko. Donnie Darko. I am so scared to rewatch that because I love it. Don't. Don't do it. Doesn't hold up? I don't think so. I was thinking today Booksmart is 15 times a better film than Donnie Darko. I really want it to hold up. Mm. Like, I feel one of the things I just don't ever Just don't ever watch to. the director's cut. I have done. It's garbage good I, I, I won't watch it oh it's so bad but um, I think the perfect example of a smart film for dumb people mm-hmm. when I was growing up was the butterfly effect oh god oh god oh, I used to work in a Sainsbury's and I would tell people I wanted to make films and this conversation word for word verbatim would be like do you know a film I thought was real clever butterfly effect <laughs> it wasn't though butterfly effect <laughs> and, and after a while I just heard it, it just heard it in right, recycling made like butterfly effect butterfly effect butterfly effect butterfly effect Oh, that was oh, that was real cl- banging film. Real clever. It it really worked. Like, like it all made sense. Like, it all made me, I'm just like, and I would just be slowly like imagining 
horrible things it's happening in my brain. So dumb. I remember one of the film studies, uh, like a kid came in, he he thought it was the real swinging dick. He came like, <laughs> sat down, it's like, yeah, uh, I like films like, well, the butterfly effect. I was like, <laughs> move your seat. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you give in to the chaos of the universe and fuck off? <laughs> Why don't you go read a diary entry where you leave me the fuck alone and let the words get all squiggly? <laughs> so bad. So I watched it, it's like, no, this is dumb. Mm. Willfully dumb. Oh, 100%. You should only be... It's for people with Avenged Sevenfold t-shirts. <laughs> I, I'm not interested in this. How many films? It's, I think it's almost become like a trope now when you watch a film and you realise you've just watched the fake script within the film of adaptation that Nicolas Cage's brother is yeah, writing. Yeah, the, the three. three. <laughs> oh, 100 Because it's... Um, is that not what Split is even, really, kind of? It it's kind of is, the, yeah. Just the three, it, 100%. And what's the big one of that? Um, identity. Yes! I used to, I used to, like, my script, I had a script that I wrote called Blue Days. Mm. It was about a guy who woke up uh, in in this world that was like the world, but it wasn't. And he mm. realises that he's dreaming, that he's in a dream. And he has this guide, who's like a guardian angel, who's supposed to... And there was some, I thought there were really cool ideas in it. Like, there's a scene where he goes to his office, and the photocopier is alive and tries to kill him. And he has to kill <laughs> a, a photocopier with an axe. Like, it was like, I genuinely loved it. But it was like, also full of like, the manic pixie dream girl shit and all yeah. that kind of thing. And guns for in England, for some reason, you know, and things like that. Um, and But I thought I was the smartest guy in the world, because the twist was, at the end, that he wakes up, and he's the guide, not the dreamer. Mm, yeah, see, deep. fucking deep, man. So that I wrote a film was putting called Ten Moments uh, because I got a chainmail uh, that once said, "What if for every one moment of happiness you had ten moments of sadness?" And I was like, "Deep, ten <laughs> moments written by Nathan Darcy Roberts." Uh, uh, also, a very good predictor of your your twenties, I'm sure. Oh, hundred percent. I really lent into that vibe. <laughs> It was such garbage. <laughs> I had a script that was about the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. Nice. And I thought myself was super cool because I wanted Philip Seymour Hoffman to play War about five years before he did roles like that. I predicted in my head that he would make a really good, like, furious, angry antagonist character. Nice. This is before Punch Drunk Love, before Mission Impossible 3. And I, 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 I think I had Kevin Spacey in my head as Pestilence. To be fair, you could probably get him now. Yeah, you could probably get him now. I had um, Edward Norton as Death, and the whole plot was that Death wanted to quit, and the other four horsemen have to come and stop him from quitting. And in the end, he kills himself, and that's what causes the end of the world, because we need Death, because Death is a part of life, Nathan! Oh, theme. And Famine was just going to be an un- an unknown child actor. <laughs> <laughs> That's the most potential you like leave room for an unknown. <laughs> you know what? There's been a lot of catharsis on this podcast, but I feel like I'm really unburdening <laughs> What else was there? There was one about a Hollywood satire, which was a pastiche on Jar Jar Binks. And it was all about these um, dissatisfied creative people on a soulless Hollywood movie creating a sex tape using a computer-generated character to blackmail the studio. Nice. Which I thought was really cool and subversive, but that was full of some horrible writing as well. Terrible fucking writing. So I wrote one, I think this is a play actually, I wrote a story about a group of disparate guys in the waiting room of a brothel who are waiting to see this mysterious figure that we realise is an angel. I think I've seen, there's been several of those films. Yeah, and it's like, that is just very quietly, then loudly misogynist. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Turn the volume up on them. <laughs> Take it to 11. Uh, no, I think the problem is uh, in the first act, the misogyny was just implied. Let's make it explicit. <laughs> Show, don't tell, Nathan. It comes out the girl and the gun thing. I think you mm. realize, like, no, like, you can't just reduce. Yeah. You think you're being quite deep and like exploring like feminist yeah. ideas, yeah, yeah, but yeah. the only women in your, in your film are prostitutes. Yeah, like, exactly. No, that's a problem. Yeah. That's a big problem. Oh my god. I don't know, man. I feel like I feel encouraged. I feel I'm so happy that like we've had this these couple of years out of being of having the keys to stuff, mm. and it's like I feel like I hope to think because I've started writing again like stuff and thinking about you know if I ever got if I ever got the meeting what would mm. it, if they say so have you got any scripts what would it be I used to write not realizing that I was going to be in it all my scripts I used to write back in the day I was writing for my voice. The scariest part was how am I going to be able to tell an actor how I want them to say it? Whereas now I'm actually doing comedy. I'm more comfortable with the idea of like, maybe I'll do it. And it yeah. won't be bad that I'll do it. You know what I mean? I mean, do you write stuff for yourself to No, start? I don't want to be in my stuff at all. Never at all? No. If I would Shyamalan it. <laughs> oh God, you can't. Know. Oh, <laughs> A really contrived cameo where I explain the theme of the film. Uh, <laughs> No, I would like to, um, or like Mike White it. Like I, I'd like to write like a sporting character for myself. I'd be right. like, I see. if I was in like a show, I'd want to be a like returning yeah. guest role. That's thing, my I think I've got very limited range. I can only play uh, mm. high status assholes. I'm really great at playing high status assholes, <laughs> uh, but like, I can't, that, that's all I can do. But then I I've think got the... no, because I always want to. I always want to cast against type. I bet I could find the sweet. Sweet boy. The, the sweet vulnerable guy in the middle there somewhere. You can get that. But the problem is, like, I write characters, like, based on me. And when it comes to casting, I realise uh, how big a problem there is in terms of representation. Because I feel there are very few people kind of like me on screen. Yeah. And that's a big problem. Yeah. So I'm trying to find... And you can't have all the roles. <laughs> can't have all the roles. I, there are, we need more people like Richard Arwadi yeah. on the screen. Nerdy mixed race boys. Yes. That's and my goal. I'm going to find them. I'm going to root them out and bring them on screen. Yeah, and lead them. Uh, to war. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a question. <laughs> so. <laughs> I love it like Parkinson did that. Like, oh, so here's a question. <laughs> <laughs> With a little giggle. <laughs> he's really excited about himself. <laughs> I'm so excited about this question. Um, are you excited to take some people to hell? Are you? Do you want to hurt your audience? In the way that you like being hurt. Oh uh, yeah, I'd love to. I don't know if I can though. I don't know if I. I'm. I'm not good enough yet. Like I'd love to. So there's something I'm working at the moment, uh, which I can't really talk about much. But like, I want to take people to a strange place, mm. a hellish place. I'm not sure, but it will be a strange place, and I'll, I need to work out how to earn that. And yeah, because for television, it's very difficult to work out how to when to do that. Yeah. When do you pull the rug out? Because mm. you're in a constant negotiation. Like mm. in a film, you can do that yeah. in uh, clear increments. Well, you, can, you can also be like, I already have your money, dude. Like, yeah, like yeah. You walk out if you want, but, but I got your money. Yeah. But also, it's like a clear arc. You don't have to reset each week. Right. You can't be like, welcome to hell. Then <laughs> next week, hi, uh, it's me again. <laughs> I would watch that show though. <laughs> Nathan Roberts brings you Welcome to Hell! <laughs> Each week I introduce it like Alfred Hitchcock. I am Nathan Roberts. I am obsessed with hell. I would fucking love that actually. Very pretty baller. In fact, I bet that Jordan Peele's uh, Twilight Zone is mm. fucking off the chain. I haven't seen it yet. 
but, not but he's things. the new you've not heard good things oh yeah, fuck views have been like up and down shit but, um, but you could be that guy I think you could be, be that, that I, I would love seeing you walk out and introduce <laughs> a harrowing tale my approach to hell uh, my approach <laughs> to hell <laughs> I never get tired of hearing you like, say hell like people pitching in a bar for like what's the best way to get to hell <laughs> okay uh, I'm Nathan my approach to hell is, uh, <laughs> all drains lead to the ocean son <laughs> is I like stories where I think this is how you do it in television is that you just treat the stakes as being very real. So mm-hmm. you can still be very funny, yeah. but when the shit hits the fan, there are consequences. Yes. That's the kind of stories I think I want to tell. Me too. I mean, I think the best hell on TV in terms of things being very funny and very hellish is Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks right. is so funny, mm. but then within the same scene, within the yeah. same shot, you can then be in an area which you do not understand and you want to escape and press the mm-hmm. like, escape button. Would you be the type of person if you would kill someone, you'd want them to stay dead? Oh, 100%. Yeah. And then you'd see the aftermath on the characters. Yeah. I, I feel like a coward sometimes when I write. You want to bring them back? Yeah, well, I just feel like I can't kill this person. Oh, really? Uh, uh, I, you know, I don't think I, I want I want to, but they live in my head. I can't mm. kill them. And it's such bad writing. So, you know, you can't, oh, I've got to find some way to bring them back somehow. And it's like, uh, yeah. no, I want the dread, mm. but find a way of making that funny as well so I think things that do that perfectly are Barry and talking about TV now but like but Barry um, same thing really Search know. Party do it brilliantly uh, something recently they did it really well I can't think off the top of my head no, it's gone <laughs> uh, but also no uh, the Coens do it brilliantly the Coens mm. like I, I, I may have this amazing ability to like balance um, maintained high stakes and farce yeah. Fargo far, like that's, oh yeah man. they do so Jesus. well and that's the tone I want to go to in terms of you know, intense Lynchian, uh, Gaspar Noe, Lars and Trier. Whilst I enjoy watching that, I don't think I can make that. And also, I don't think I really need to yeah. make that. That's not my compulsion. Well, I like day tripping yeah. there. I don't want to okay. live there yeah. for months and years of like pre-production <laughs> and seeing uh, people screaming on set. Like that's <laughs> not really the work. That's not how I manifest. Well, but, also with those guys, I feel like we know what they're going to do before they do it. Yeah. So there's no point. But in terms of hell, there is, I would love to bring that vibe somehow mm. on stage. Ooh. Not in terms of performance, but in terms of the, the space of a show. Yeah. I would love, there's a, I have a desire to make a show about anger. Yeah. And I want to make a show which at intimate at wow. points we go into spaces which are really uncomfortable. Yes. But that's got to be earned. I mean, like, that totally has to be earned. there yet. So like, I think people need to know who you are as an entity to start like yeah. peeling back the layers of that. Yes. But also it sounds like, that sounds really beautiful actually. That sounds like you going into a stage of your career where you get to design the set. Mm. It's all constructed, designed, like you, like there would be production design for your Edinburgh show. Yeah. It's not, you're not just using whatever, you know, basement, you know, the stage you've got or, you know, mm. room that some other person's going to have to pile into in a second. Yeah. You could actually control the space. Yeah. yeah that'd be fascinating actually to see that. Also, that's the type of topic that I want to see addressed. Mm. And create yeah. different tones and, mm. and explain that, like, you know, I think the my different fa- kind yeah. of comedians there's people who like the consider themselves the purists like Gomit is just a man with a microphone <laughs> who genuinely feel like they're telling it how it is and yeah exactly invariably they're not uh, <laughs> and there's people like you know sort of club comics and show comics and I like yeah. the idea of a show yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. something which you know stands on its own an hour long and can take you to weirder spaces and I think that I, ideally the benefit of the longer you go the more you can play around with that. Yeah, so it's, you're absolutely right about earning it. Like, I think that's why Black Mirror works, because Charlie Brooker, we know we know who he is. Yeah. it's If if, if that first episode of Black Mirror just landed, 
we would have been like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. Because it's Charlie. We know he's, he's married to Connie Hart. He's a nice guy. He can't be He can't be a real misanthrope. Yeah, he's a he's sweet boy. He's actually a sweet. He was, he was on, would I lie to you? <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> you know what I mean? Have you seen the new series of Black Mirror? Not yet. Oh, boy. Good, bad? It's some of the worst things I've ever seen in my entire life. I One episode is so bad... I couldn't. Be- I can't believe it exists. No, terribly directed, terribly How? acted. How? How can First this be? Drugs. I don't understand it. Doesn't make it. any sense. It's film school level. Wow. Yeah. If that was, if my film school student made that to me, I would uh, have an affair with their dad to break up their family's <laughs> punishment. I. It's so bad. Wow. It's just the testament, isn't it? We just gotta um, get out. Get in late. Get out early. This, yeah. The old editing trick. Quit while you're ahead. That's what it seems to be with cinema, man. Hundred percent. I I I can't, I almost don't want to go see you Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I can't wait. Are you sure? Yeah. No. It looks like he maybe went one step too far. I actually not... making it about a real murder. You know, like I don't think it's that much about it. Is it not? I don't. Okay. I mean, I don't. I mean, no one knows what it's you about. You can't do the Inglorious Bastards thing with that. Oh, I don't think it's revisionist. Oh, right, good. I think people have said it's. Ma- have used the word mature mm. in the reviews, which is rare, and you haven't heard since yeah. Jackie Brown. Yes. So, like, I think it's going to be Jackie Brown vibe. I think it's going to be quite okay. slow, not that violent until Jackie the Brown. end. Yeah. I think it's going to be intelligent piece of work. And also, mm. it's set in 1969 in LA, which yeah. is literally my favourite yeah. time and place really? in, history of Earth, in the history of Earth. Wow. It's when all the optimism of the 60s was destroyed. <laughs> Humanity came together and was like, free love, let's come together and make the world a better place. Heroin, cynicism, Mm. and like darkness and capitalism co-opted it. And Mm. like, nope, we're taking this away. And it led to the 70s. Oh, it's fascinating. (laughs) It's when Hollywood went dragged to hell. (laughs) Hell opened up. (laughs) I feel like I I finally met you today. This is really interesting. (laughs) I don't know. I love. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think when we first. I first realized you were the type of person that I would love to have a conversation with. When I realized that we both liked the film Stalker, Tarkovsky's <laughs> film, and I, you know, I was like, "Holy shit, are we best friends?" <laughs> and that's another like um, sp- spending a long time following people around type film. Oh and yeah. Stuff. But, but man, I'm learning so much more about the inner you, man. Today, Just I'm gonna start trying to draw it out. The chaos within. Seems like a sweet boy, but it just I'm gonna poke you. I find that really exciting, man. I don't know how to end this conversation. Like, I feel like it's like, I, like it just feels like it's just endless. Cinema is just endless. Just go through all of cinema history. But how great that we might be able to add to it. Mm. This, especially considering there's been such a oversaturation of people who think they're filmmakers. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because it's almost like I feel like you're the type of person who would sense the responsibility of it and the legacy of it and stuff and you would be worried to ruin it or to... Yeah, 100%. But I think it's like what uh, I'm fascinated about in terms of like being able to make a film is just the ability to steal from all my favourite people. Yes. That's really great. That's what they all do, man. That's what it is, man. Yeah, totally. Exactly. Someone just gives you money to just (laughs) take everything that you love and just like... (laughs) retrofit it around your own dumb story yeah that's the dream it's brilliant what other things uh, actually a quick question 
Yeah. Are there certain things that if you see in a film, so we talked about sort of like a, a certain tropes, if you mm. see you're like, yeah, I love this film. Yeah, okay. Oh, I'm liking this. And I can also give you the bad ones as mm. well, like pet peeves. Okay, yeah. And I'd love to hear yours as well. When a like Spider-Man swings into the lens and it's like, you just kill the cameraman. You just okay, yeah. the film. Hate that. I hate it. <laughs> well, actually, um, weird uh, converse yeah. of that. Just kind of take it. But if something falls onto the lens, yeah, like in love with blood and oil falls on the lens, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> That's the money shot yeah. right there. <laughs> oh, you got me. <laughs> exactly. That's a very good one. I'd say things that I see and and then immediately go, okay, I love this film. A a motivated camera move when a camera is still and then it starts moving. Nice. Yeah. And I'm like. Okay, oh, oh, we're moving, we're moving, we're moving. Something's happening, something's happening. We're learning something, mm. something's happening. The director chose to move the camera. Yeah. That is like, mwah, that's, oh, to me. Because there's so many fucking films made now that it's just like you know, three cameras all pointing at the same piece of action, just chopping, mm. cutting between them. Fucking love that. I love, I love anytime there's an anamorphic flare that hits the lens. Nice. Just reminds me of helicopters in 80s movies. Yeah. And I taught my housemates how to tell if a film is anamorphic or not. Because my housemates used to annoy the shit out of me. Because I, I, I live with these lovely, lovely people. And they watch a lot of TV and they watch a lot of films. But they're the type of people who will watch something, three episodes of a TV show, not realising they've got the aspect ratio wrong on the TV. And I'm like, it's squashed! How do you not see that you're oh not watching god. it? Oh my god. Or if the, the soap effect. Oh god! It drives me fucking insane. Yes. We watched, I was at my girl, years ago, I was like 15, I was at my girlfriend's house and we were watching, like Wild at Heart came on TV and mm. she had the soap effects on her TV <laughs> and I was like this is a beautiful film and it looks like dog shit yeah. how would you live your life it's like yeah. exclusively listen to music with one headphone in yeah. it's like this is terrible but the fact that people they haven't programmed their, brain, their brains to do it and I basically taught them A I taught them about aspect ratios and then B I taught them about um, whether or not a film is anamorphic or not by the shape of the circles of light in the, out of focus mm. in the background so if they're ovals it's anamorphic or it's got using an anamorphic lens and so now they, they always notice it and they tell me <laughs> they go oh look it's anamorphic and I'm like yes it is and then you get those blue the, those, those horizontal blue lines mm. when a uh, helicopter's in the background I fucking love that shit I know it's very then J.J. Abrams went you know kind of cheapened it I guess yeah you know and it's but well, he made that. that his auto stable he yeah, just stole exactly. it it's like it's mine it's like mm, yeah. other people have done it I just love that the other thing I love is I love when um, Magnolia's great for that so bring it back to it. there's so many beautiful lens flares in Magnolia I've, oh yeah there is I mean he's he's like I'd say he visually is like pure cinema to me in terms of style at all 100% so movement yeah, considered. Considered is the exact word. My brother used that word all the time. Mm. I think it was, we had a conversation with our friend Pete Mitrovich, uh, growing up, best friend uh, from school, and he said, all great art is considered. Yeah. That's the exact word. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I love it when there's a, a unique sound. So, yes. and it could be anything. It's really weird. Like there's um like a combination of sounds. I think maybe I'm just weirdly synesthetic. Like I just like, I've got this, uh, I don't know, I can't tell you why I like something. I just know I like it. There's a, there's a bit in um, The Fellowship of the Ring where they're fighting and all the music cuts out when they're mm. fighting in the cave underground. And there's a bit where Legolas fires two arrows into a cave troll. Mm. The cave troll drops his hammer and stumbles backwards. And then Gimli kills an orc. And that three seconds of sound is one of my favourite <laughs> things. It goes like this. And that's the exact... And just the, 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 the cacophony of it is yeah. unbelievably beautiful. Um, and I just love it, and and that, and the, the, also like the way dialogue sounds. I become, I fall in love with certain 
phrases, mm. writing phrases. So, but but again, can't quite quantify why. Like even in uh, the Force Awakens, there's a scene where he's like mind reading her, being a bit creepy. Yeah. in the interrogation room, and he says, uh, "I see it. I see the island." <laughs> and I just became obsessed with that line. I see the island. It's so weird that he gets those weird line rings. Like, I've that, um... I'm fucking dying here! I'm fucking dying! It's like, that's so specific. I'm fucking... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's so brilliant. Yeah, uh, I think the, the other one was um, Interstellar at the Royal Albert Hall. Mm. And I went with my friends. And there's a line at the end where I was just thinking about it for the rest of the year. Mm. When he's in that weird Tesseract thing at the end and it starts to collapse in on itself. Yeah. And he's talking to the robot. He, uh, he goes, no, it's, they're not aliens. They're people. And then the robot says, Cooper, people couldn't build this. And he goes, no. And there's a line where he goes, not you and me. Not you and me, but people. You know. And the line, not you and me, <laughs> stayed with me forever. Like, I don't know why. Just that, that those combinations, not you and me. And the fact that he's talking about people, but from the future, and the fact that he says that line of dialogue to a robot who isn't a person, which means he sees the robot as a person, and that got me <laughs> in the feels. I'm like, he's talking to the robot as if he and the robot are both people, while talking about futuristic people who are saving humanity from the future. And I was like, and so I, and I was literally walking out of the, of the screening with my friends, and I was going, yeah, but that not you and me line, right? And they were like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Just obsessed with it. And the music in that that particular moment is unbelievable as well. Really subtle. What were your favourite line readings? Weird line readings? Says there's the says the Reservoir Dog ones. I think there's so many in Reservoir Dogs as well. So, yeah. So I can't remember. Like a big one is um in the in the in the blood where uh Danny Plainview gets baptised. Like, <laughs> do you accept God into your heart? God into your heart? And goes, yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. You're the bloody eye. Have you ever seen me do my Leo DiCaprio impression? No, I got it. This is it. I to, it's a bit loud. Oh, Jesus! He does that in every film. In every single film, he does that. That's going to stand out now. Including the one you haven't seen. That's Leo DiCaprio. I see that. To a T. It checks out. Yeah. <laughs> I found uh, one weird line ring. I can't do it because I can't do the impression, but I, it's in my head. Forever. Have you seen Glenn Grey, Glenn Ross? Yes, love that film. Uh, Al Pacino. Like, <laughs> you dumb cunt. You <laughs> stupid fucking cunt. I know that whole yeah. speech. Where well, you learn your trade? <laughs> <laughs> My brother used to do Jack Lemmon from that. Oh, you are a fucking asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Such a good film. Yeah, just, yeah, oh no, yeah. I, I could do um, Baldwin from that. Do you think I'm fucking with you? <laughs> I am not fucking with you. <laughs> So, I feel like yeah. we've got to have a, a, a female line. We're, we're, very, we're very sausage heavy at the moment. But then yeah, that's, that's the problem with cinema in general. But then I wouldn't impersonate. I'm sure, like... He didn't get out of the cockadoody car! <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I just had it. It's going to frustrate you so much. Okay. Um, oh, one bit, massively. Only because uh, when I watched Goodfellas for the first time on DVD, it was the, the silver disc, so you had to turn mm, it over. Mm, and so when mm. it turned over to the second disc, it was a... Uh, Lorraine Bracco pressing the it's like yeah. does Janice Rossi live here she's a whore <laughs> and I remember like I watched it the first time I was like that's an abrupt gear change like <laughs> okay we, we might have to stop this before it just becomes a roll call of sweary <laughs> outbursts I fucking love it oh my god I love it so much 
Okay, right. What are the things that you love when you see them happen in a film? What makes there's you... action happening off screen? Uh, there's dead space and like intense action happens off screen. I'm like, I love this. Dead space. Yeah. I mean, as in like the camera. So, so the camera's like on like an empty room, mm. but like the something's happening. The, oh, yeah. that's a good one. Love when that happens. That's a really good one. Um, shocking violence that just takes place on screen. Yeah, like, that's kind of a bad example. Bad descriptor, but like yeah, I see what something you mean. like uh, something that doesn't shy away. Yeah, like the suicide in Hidden. Have you seen that? No. The Hanukkah film. No. Is that the one with Juliet Binoche? Yeah. Right. Uh, the guy gets sent, he's sent videotapes of his house and you don't understand. Right. Uh, it's like a, it's a fascinating sort of like yeah. anti-thriller. Yeah. But it's uh, this is an amazing scene where a guy just uh, sits his throat and it just happens and then wow. the, char- the main character is just stuck yeah. to reconcile with him. It's so sudden and it's so yeah. gratuitous. Yeah. You are trapped I was, pers- I, I, yeah, I always remember the killing of several characters in Schindler's List because it's like the only Spielberg film where he does just let violence happen in front mm. of you. Like there's the the woman who yells at the Nazis that they've built the thing wrong and she's an engineer and they shoot her in the back of the head and then say, they'd say, now do it how she said because she's right. But the shot of her getting shot it looks actually like somebody actually getting shot. I don't yeah. know how they did it back in whenever they made that film but it's unbelievable like right down to the really un unidealized expression on her face yeah it doesn't look like someone acting being shot in the head it just you know when you know you see like a photo from history and you, you just look look at someone's face like something like everything's just vanished out of it yeah it's unbelievable that, that shot and i always remember that it sticks in my head it's mm. like that shot doesn't let me get over it yeah do you know what I mean? I think that's exactly what you, you've been saying throughout the whole podcast, mm. isn't it? When, when films don't let you get over something. Yeah. You can't shy away from it. Yeah. Like, I love darkness in the daylight, which is um, when intense scenes will happen in the day. And again, mm. that, that hidden one is an example. A great example is the murder, I think it's the Hardy Gaddy Man in Zodiac. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, when yeah, the, yeah. The guy's in the... Yes, in the, on the park. In the park. In the park, yeah. Mm. And it's such a nightmare. Yeah. And it's like... Darkness encroaches your daylight. Yeah. And it's like, oh, there's no escape. And it's almost banal. It's not very dramatic, that scene. Yeah. You, you, you don't expect something to really happen in that scene because it mm. just feels just feels undramatic. Yeah. Why should you feel unsafe during the day? Yeah. It's, it's so... That really horrifies me. Anything that darkness happens uh, during the day, thing really that I really hate, and you have to really win me back if you do it. Hmm. Old films did it, so I give them the pass. But like, if you start at the end, then go back to the beginning. Oh yeah, yeah, big time. Yeah, like fuck you. Yeah, yeah. Just write an opening scene. Yeah, they're hard to do for a reason. Mm. I great examples of the films that do that, like uh, Sunset Boulevard, mm. does it brilliantly. You know, Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. I mean, that's different because it's like that's just non chronological Yeah, it's all non chronological yeah, yeah, yeah. um, Fight Club. Yeah, Fight Club. Uh, American Beauty does it well. Mm. But they, when you return to that original scene. You have mm. a new perspective. Yeah. So many films will just return. Yeah. And we've learned nothing new. Yeah. It's just a lazy way of getting us hooked into your story. Mm. A nice little add-on to that, man, is like a good, well-chosen first shot. Mm. Like when you say, just write an opening sequence. It's like that choice is always really exciting to me. Yeah. What do you open on? That's why I hate it when you something just fades up and we're in a place. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. That can ruin a film in the first shot. I'll be like, oh, okay. It's not, it's not a five-star film. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Because you're not thought about it. Yeah, my God, I love it. I love a good first frame. The, the master, just that opening shot of like Joaquin Phoenix. Um, mm. Is he lying on his back in there? No, I think it's this, that comes a bit later. It's him uh, on a boat 
Yeah. And he's looking over the rim. You just see his eyes. He's got a helmet. And yeah. he just looks scared and confused. And you're yeah. like, who is this man? Yeah. What, just, he's lost. Yeah. And then I think it's the next one is him, like, lying across. It's yeah, lying on the mask. Stunning. Yeah. I fucking love that. When, when the first shot is all you need, yeah, completely. And then the last shot. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's like, it's like I, think I, saw, I think I saw, like, uh, I think there's some YouTube video somewhere where they... Com- they, they show the first and last shot of famous films yeah love that kind of thing especially when they like mirror each other and stuff yeah. like Gone Girl and things like that oh, yeah Gone Girl does yeah yeah. Uh, to the point where people couldn't tell if it was the same shot or not like mm. reused or not but it's really different yeah fuck man okay alright we're, we're just gonna keep we're just, we're, we're just gonna keep doing this all day alright okay we, we, let's wrap it up okay I think I think we've basically if there's anyone out there who uh, is not a cinephile this will stop listening along they will have yes <laughs> okay I love cinema so much I'm so I, I really want to fall back in love with it and I think this has really helped me so this is great and I do please do please make me a list of things especially things that you think might be Trumbull friendly sweet I'll make it oh, I'll cater I'll curate a list I need gateway drugs I need oh, gateway drugs I'll, I'll break you in yeah maybe that sounded very threatening <laughs> Get me high and take me to the cinema, Nathan. Um, um, yeah, we end the podcast uh, with a little game where I ask my guest about something that they don't love that everyone else seems to be kind of into and that they don't feel, they just feel out of step. And then just follow that with telling me something that you do love and just proselytize, just sell it to me. I did do love first because it's, it's harder to talk about things. Oh, really? Yeah. This will be the first time that oh, really? we've had uh, that someone's broken the mold. But I feel like it's in character. You want to take us to hell. You want to take us to hell. We're going to end in hell. It's end in hell. Um, I think, I don't know if people really hate this, I think, but I feel it's kind of treated like a punchline more and more. And that's um, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Hmm. Yeah. I, do you like it? I, I do, but I've only seen it once. I, yeah. never, I never felt the need to watch it again. I don't think I ever go, go, will go back to it, but it holds a very special place hmm. in my heart. Hmm. Because, yeah, it's a ripoff of Forrest Gump. <laughs> Fine. Yeah, it's too long. But I couldn't cry like for the longest time like I, I just didn't cry uh, mm. like for most of like high school all of sixth form uh, into like university I just didn't really as much as I felt sadness I just didn't cry wow and I went to see the curious case of Benjamin Button <laughs> at a preview <laughs> with the Q&A with Dana Fincher and I cried the whole time whoa <laughs> I was like this film is the film that broke me so I'm like ah oh. the whole time but the moment he comes out all old I'm like, and baby yeah, he <laughs> <laughs> looks He's seven, but he looks a little older. <laughs> and I was like, it just completely destroyed me. And I was like... Did you even know what was happening to you at the time? Did you feel like something was wrong? <laughs> his relationship with Taraji P. Henson just was so profoundly beautiful to me. Mm. And I was like, oh, yeah, this... Yeah. I, I'm human. It reminds me of my humanity. <laughs> so for all its flaws, it's too long. It's they stress a short story to beyond breaking point. It's derivative or Forrest Gump. Not as good as Fincher's best work, yeah. it, but I like crying. that. I love that. I love that discovering that you're human yeah. <laughs> through the medium of film. I love that. That's beautiful. Were you with someone at the time? Yeah, I was with my mates, and, uh, and they saw you start. Boring. They were happy to. They encouraged it. We're, we're all beta males. There's no like. <laughs> they held no you. They shaming. held you until it was over. Yeah. It was great. It's like really. Do you cry a lot now? Did it? Did it? Did it forever change you? Uh, I don't really cry at life. I will only cry at film, and also I don't really cry at sad films. I cry at um, happy films. Oh, I like so that. I cry at scenes of kindness and um, I like it. yeah, generosity. Oh wow! 
okay, we could unpack that yeah. later. It's fascinating. It's like, like, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Are you? Is that why you haven't seen it again? Are you afraid yeah. that it won't have the same effect? Yeah, I feel like that film did for me what it needed to do. Mm. Actually, it's uh, interesting. Uh, we were talking about things like Garden State uh, earlier, but like Tarantino, I was listening to him uh, talking in an interview uh, about sort of films that serve a purpose at a certain point in your life. Mm. And, you know, I think things like, you know, Garden State or for certain people like yeah. Butterfly Effect yeah, or, yeah. you know... Butterfly Effect. Butterfly Effect. Or, you know, like early like 90s, like thrillers, they are gateway drugs. They serve... Yeah. They're what you need to see as a 15-year-old. Yeah to help your journey into film and you know and then like your tastes will change over time hmm. like Muse Muse is a great band yeah. when I was 15 perfect yeah I grew up Muse didn't like I don't <laughs> I needed that for that time I don't need it anymore you learned to cry Muse stayed Muse stayed <laughs> robots <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah so like, uh, yeah. that's what that I needed I got everything I needed from that film and some mm. films are single service like mm. Birdman. I watched Birdman yeah. the second time. I was like, no, I got everything I could from the Completely first time. Completely fucking agree. Yeah, I got no time to rewatch Birdman. I loved it. Yeah. Don't need to ever see it again. Yeah. I like that because it's very, that's very anti-film snob. It's basically saying no one should have to defend why they liked something. Yeah. I love that. But then, you know, certain films where you have to see it a couple of times. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, Inherent Vice earlier. Inherent Vice, you have to see it twice. Because the first time, mm. like, just to be like, that's fine. I see mm. what it is. And mm. the second time, like, you take it all in. Yeah. Right, well, I need to see it first time. So <laughs> put it on the list. Block out five hours. <laughs> I think I'll do it three. I think, I think I'm going to go for the third. I'll go for the, the, the hat trick. Um, okay, that's brilliant. What do you not love? That everyone seemed to love. Uh, did, you, did you see Shape of Water? Yes. Did you love it? I didn't love it. I hated it. I hated it so much. Okay. So much. I really wanted to love it. Yeah. I went in with the best of intentions. Yeah. I, I went. I entered with an open heart mm. and an open mind, mm. and left Dry. with a closed mind <laughs> and a cold heart. <laughs> I hate it. I like Guillermo del Toro. I think he's great. Sally Hawkins is an amazing actor. Yes. Richard, Richard Jenkins, yes. Michael Stuhlberg, mm-hmm. Michael fucking Shannon, mm. like uh, Octavia Spencer. It's all there. Yeah, man. It's all there. Mm. Garbage. It's. <laughs> It's Amelie for perverts. Just, <laughs> I hate it so much. It's Amelie for perverts. <laughs> like the first half hour, I was like really on board with it. I was like, oh, this might be a masterpiece. Like the, yeah. the set design is great. Like it's interesting. It's taking inspiration from interesting places. And then she starts fucking that fish boy. Yeah. And she is remiss in her duties. <laughs> She's a cleaner. She shouldn't be interfering in governmental uh, <laughs> governmental business. Michael Shannon was right to want her dead. Exactly. There was a war going on. <laughs> And she's out there there's fucking the argu- bomb. There's an argument about about uh, consent. I think if I don't want to sound like alt righty, <laughs> like, okay. If it was, a but if it was a man fucking a yes. fish woman, yes. I think it'd be very problematic. If yes. it was him and his mate, be like, <laughs> well, I was working late last night and I, <laughs> I've I've fucked the fish creature. It would be a grotesque, grotesque horror. Although I would argue such films have been made. And and it was deemed okay by society, so it is a double standard. Mm, there have Tom been Hanks stand- banging the mermaid, yes, and it oh, was. Tom Hanks can bang anything. Uh, yeah, it's true. But also, I like, see what you mean. She, Teddy Hawkins, really good performance. Really good yeah. performance. When they danced, I didn't want to ruin everyone else's experience, but I mm. found it very hard not to laugh. 
You know, there's the dance sequence, like a Hollywood, oh, it's like a Busby, Bu- Busby oh, yes, Berkeley style yes, dance sequence. Oh, yes, yes, I forgot sequence. that scene, like a fantasy sequence. Yeah, yeah. and he's like smashing around. Ridiculous. <laughs> At one point, he escapes and goes to the cinema, which is, for some reason, empty. Yeah. How did he get in there? Did yeah. he buy a ticket? Why is it open? <laughs> what? Why is no one seeing the fish, man? He deserves to be caught and killed. Michael... <laughs> I don't understand what they're doing with Michael Shannon's character and he's got that weird step, Stepford wife who yeah. seems like a character from think, Mars Attacks. I think, I think the... Yeah. <laughs> I think the, so the idea is that he's the real monster in the um, Yeah. Red, loud and clear. <laughs> Dottorio might as well come on stage and be like, What I'm trying to do here... <laughs> Michael Shannon is real monster. And he's so... Boring... <laughs> And like the whole subplot with uh, Richard uh, Jenkins, yeah, which could be yeah, fascinating. Which was good, well could, played. Yeah. But it's just yeah. him going like, remember homophobia exists, it's the 60s, <laughs> remember, or the 50s. And we, um, I also feel like a monster. Ooh, and yeah, racism yeah, exists. Yeah, it's racism, like, yeah, it's like every box is being ticked. We get it. She floods her apartment, she should have been evicted. Yeah. Uh, the thing, the minute she's got the scars on her neck, yeah. so signposted. Right. It was so, the score was lazy and mm. stolen or something like <laughs> yeah, stolen from John Bryan's much better score of Punch Drunk Love. Justice for Bryan! Justice for Bryan, and he fucking, uh, what's he called? Oh, what's, what's the guy who wrote this score called? Mm, his name completely escapes me. But he stole the Oscar from Johnny Greenwood, who should have won for Phantom Thread that year. Oh, I thought you were going to say There Will Be Blood. Love that score. Uh, but they were nominated the same year for the Oscars. And now i got to see that Phantom Thread if the score is, oh, the score is as good as There Will Be Blood. I think it may be better. Holy shit. It's uh, stunning. Um, yeah, I, I just think it's a superficial bland film where mm. the direction is very good yeah and the steampunk style the, yeah, the, the cold war shit is it's a visual face yeah. there's, there's no avoiding that and you know when she's masturbating in the bath I was like oh that's kind of alternative that's kind yeah. of out there that's well, audacious I, I, I was thinking the fucking the monster thing would have worked the thing that the thing that doesn't make it work is the fact that the very next scene as you say is her telling her work colleague as if like she's just met a new beau and the work colleague being completely fine with she's it she's totally fine with she's it she's so fine with it it's like, like it should have been a dirty secret like if it was about a woman keeping a really really fucked up secret yeah everyone in the audience would be kind of like okay there's a part of me that gets it and I'm not going to tell the person sat next to me in the theatre like that's what kind of film it could have been taking them to as you say to that strange place yeah like it's Cronenbergian love story where it's like really fucked up yeah oh I would be so so game for that but like put the it doesn't even have to be a fish monster (laughs) say if she works and like a Capri Sun factory and she's like oh I worked late last night and I saw some Capri Sun up my ass." <laughs> call the line manager it's disgusting it's, I just and also I just didn't I felt I, I nothing pierced, I pierced I pierced it with something else I didn't use the, the provided straw <laughs> I burst into that Capri Sun I just think like it's and I felt nothing I think it's I really... flooded the place with Capri Sun <laughs> and somehow I managed to maintain structural integrity at, at, at a usable water level and now I am homeless because my landlord rightly evicted me yes I feel like it's the kind of thing where I think it's a really frustrating thing when you you feel distanced from the film it's yeah. like you're looking at it through mm. a, shape, a pane of glass mm. and you know other people have moved and you're like I want to be moved when you want yeah. to be moved and you're not yeah. and you feel like you're just uh, you're like revving an engine you're not hit, getting into mm. gear and I hate that feeling yeah. like I know I want you want to like I want to roll with this yeah. I want to I want to have fun with you but yeah. you're just I completely I not completely empathise with that man oh my god I think I I had heard 
Guillermo del Toro have an interview where he basically said, I wanted to make a love story where the monster gets the girl. And I think everyone went into the film knowing that. Mm. So it's that thing of like, okay, the film is either going to do what I know it's going to do well or not. And that's where that tension came from for me. I was just like, okay, yeah, it did what he said he was going to do. I was expecting it. But as you say, I was was expecting something weirder. Yeah. Also, just in the middle of Go weird or go home, man. 100% also, like, it's just fucking... It's just gross. Like, when when, uh, she seduces him with an egg. Please. (laughs) Like... Imagine that happened like Harry met Sally, he gives her an egg and they start fingering. It's <laughs> vile. It's not romantic at all. He offered her some pecan pie. <laughs> it's not quite the same it's thing. Just, actually, they're very similar films. <laughs> it's like, can a man and a fish monster really ever truly be friends, Nathan? I don't think so. It's, it's just. It's obvious you haven't had great fish sex yet. <laughs> well, now I've I'm had just... fish sex. But not great fish sex, but good fish sex. But it just. Uh, it was. He was trying to recapture everything that made Pan's Labyrinth yeah. so special, yeah. and it just didn't work for me. I just felt distanced, emotionally sterile, and it just I it, nothing. It just gave mm. me absolutely nothing, and that's the most frustrating thing. I love that your two things have been film things. That just shows just how tied in you are to this it's whole a very thing. narrow life. It's just it's just who you are. It just it's woven into you. That's beautiful, man. Okay, I'm, I can get behind both of those. Sweet. I can 100% get behind both of those. Vindicated. Thanks for coming in. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yeah, great. no, seriously, it's been great. Man. We should just mm. hang out and talk about films sometime. <laughs> it's been fucking awesome. I always feel awkward uh, whenever you're at a gig. I always want to come up to you and start talking about <laughs> films and stuff. But I know it would alienate everybody in the room. Dude, that's all I want to talk about. <laughs> right, cool. Well, let's do that sometime. That'd be good. And write me a list, man. I will. I was going to write that list. Let's do that. Okay. Um, you've been listening to 50 Users for the Word Love. My guest today was Nathan Roberts, and the word was cinephilia. See, I can do it all at the end. I can get all the information in perfectly. Nailed it. Right towards the end. Uh, yeah. So, say goodbye to everyone, Nathan. Goodbye, everyone. I'm Stephen Trumbull, and I love you.